Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. So very grateful to have you giving us your time and your attention. It's Diener here. Hey guys, I'm here too. With Zach, as always. <laughs> What's up? It would not be the same. It would not be without you, Zach. It oh. just would not be. Ooh, one thing, Tina, I just had an idea. Okay. Uh, one Steiners. thing, we were talking about some of our blind spots before we went uh, live on this, and mm-hmm. we didn't even talk about this specifically. But areas that uh, we want to create less harm and, you know, commitments we want to make to um, areas that we need to be more aware and, you know, hopefully creating more good. Um, one thing with our podcast that we'd like to do more good with, be more aware of is, uh, is you know, land acknowledgements. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to... Yeah. Do you want to make an land acknowledgement to kick off this podcast? Yeah, yeah. I think for sure it's uh, something that we've talked about off off air quite a bit, especially recently in in terms of the the actual timeline of life. We've just had the first Truth and Reconciliation Day here in Canada on September thirtieth, and uh, it's got to be more than just a day. That's like one of our conversations, or more than simply an orange shirt. But um, we're looking at ways that we can bring it into the podcast and be more intentional with our um, conversations and setting up the podcast. I think one of the things is like, it often feels like it's out in the universe. It doesn't have a physical space, but we are here uh, on traditional unceded territory of the Musqueam Coast Salish people. For us to be here, it's important to acknowledge that. And by uh, searching up whose land am I on, uh, there's lots of different resources that we can use. You can find out like where you're at. And so for us, we want to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Ankaminam language group speaking people. And yeah, so that's uh, that's an important thing for us to do to continue to be better, right? And recognize, as you said, blind spots that have existed. But um, we want to we want to continue to to acknowledge those and grow. So here we live, work, and play on that land that does not belong to us. There you go. There we go. And I know there's an app. Maybe we can throw it in the show notes. Or not an app, like a 1-800 number that you can text to right. see um, which unceded, um, you know, indigenous land that you're you're living on. So we'll we'll throw that up. Uh, you know, for, for myself, I think that's where conversations can start is acknowledging that, uh, you know, we're, we're living on stole, stolen land mm-hmm. um, and acknowledging just acknowledging that um as a step towards reconciliation yeah because it is it's not one thing it's many things right great and small and just just learning those things right becoming aware oh yeah like this was someone else's land Mm -hmm. right and it was maybe never fairly given over or given over in in any uh, authentic capacity at all right and so important there we go well well thank you for for that dean and um you know it's something that we're going to continue to work on is is our relearning Mm -hmm. um of 
indigenous history um, and, you know, the role of, you know, the white settler in that as well. Um, and, you know, how we can be an ally in, in truth and reconciliation mm -hmm. for the indigenous people. Very important. Very important in our work going forward as people of this land. All right. So this week mm -hmm. we've got, uh, you know, I always say someone near and dear, but uh, Anna's, you know, Anna Pippis, someone that's a role model as a parent, as a uh, vegan, just as an overall awesome human being uh, who lives with intention, with a full heart, um, with compassion. Um, you know, she really embodies the goal of our podcast of doing a little more good. Anna, Anna shows up in a good way in a lot of, in, in a big sense, in, in many capacities as a, as a parent, as a wife, as a friend, as a vegan, you know, she's just full of love, full of, full of heart. And yeah, she lives with the purpose of being a good person, really. Mm -hmm. So we had a we had a great conversation. Uh, her cookbook is out today. Today, October twenty sixth. Yes, it is the vegan family cookbook. It's real. It's live. It's out there. Get it wherever you can get books. Yeah. Uh, it can be yours. You can uh, even order it uh, through through her through her website, easyanimalfree.com is the place to go. We ordered a bunch for the juice truck, so uh, most juice truck locations will have copies as well, limited supply, so come on by. She makes cooking like super easy, approachable, uh, takes out any intimidation or, or fear of A, cooking vegan, but B, just cooking in general. Like Most of her recipes are things that she's done, like holding a baby by her side <laughs> yeah. or a toddler by her side, sometimes with one hand, sometimes with 10 minutes to spare. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a no excuse, healthy, um, delicious way of cooking that uh, takes basically makes it easy. Yeah. Easy, cook, animal free. Totally. Yeah. Cooking, not just a good Instagram handle, yeah. but a good way to live. And it's uh, it's so it's so accessible. I think sometimes like I love a good cookbook. I love looking at the images, the recipes and all that kind of good stuff. But sometimes it can be intimidating. Like you, I, I don't have all these ingredients or you know, I don't know if I can have the time to do all the prep or whatever with my busy schedule of, you know, school, work, uh, getting kids to places or getting myself to places or my partner, whatever it might be, right? We all have these busy lives. And for her uh, to have created this book, that's like a real usable kind of like manual in the kitchen of like how to get things done from from planning a weekly you know, structure so that you kind of know what you're doing with without being rigid, but then also like some really, really killer recipes. Like we had the pleasure and privilege of being able to take a look at an advanced kind of digital copy. And there are some amazing things in this book, just not only the the images, the recipes, but some of the way that she explains it, right? Which we get into in the pod. So definitely, definitely worth checking out. If you're wondering what's for dinner, this podcast is for you. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Uh, before we let things roll, a uh, little pun, little dad pun there. We've got um, a big event coming up with uh, with Rich Roll. You want to tell the people what's coming up? 
Yeah, sure do. So, uh, as you know, we've had a, a great sponsor for the podcast, Planted Life, the the vegan expo that's coming up here in Vancouver um, on November 20th and 21st. And we have the immense privilege of being part of a very special evening that's like an addition to the the uh, the vegan expo weekend on the Saturday on the 20th with, uh, with Rich Roll as a special guest to the vegan expo and to this like special evening with him, the man himself, Rich Roll, where Zach and I will be uh, kind of doing an interview with him, a live podcast on stage, chance for people to have Q and A. Um, there's some special like VIP tickets that are available that you can have a meet and greet and some, uh, some other goodies and surprises all along the way. So we're super excited about that. The whole weekend is going to be amazing. You can grab tickets to the expo. If you go to plantedlife.com slash Vancouver, you'll find all the details, purchase your tickets there, and um, check out Planted Life on Instagram. Click the link in their bio to find out where and how to get events to all, or tickets to all the other events, especially this epic evening with Rich Roll. Yeah, you're not going to want to miss it. I think it's his first time coming to Vancouver, so it's going to be... Super special. Yeah. Uh, he's someone that we both looked up to and admired in a lot of ways. So it'll be a lot of fun to, you know, sit down and uh, kind of flip the switch on him and ask him a bunch of questions. Yes. Yes. He is. He's an amazing interviewer. And uh, we'll see how he does as an interviewee. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be all right. <laughs> he'll be good. Yeah. He'll be good. Cool, cool. All right. Should we? Uh, Let's roll into it. This is a great one. Like I said, if you're wondering what's for dinner, this is the episode for you. If you are someone who loves to cook, um, but feels the pinch of time. This episode is for you. Uh, if you live with someone who loves to cook, share this one with them or share it with uh, a friend or a family member who's, you know, the the kind of family chef or is always looking for new recipes to, to dazzle and delight the taste buds of those around them. So this is one that you're going to want to, you're going to want to savor. Let's go. All right. Anna Pippas, everyone. We're here with longtime friend soon to be cookbook author by the time this this airs cookbook author mm-hmm. anna pippis mm-hmm. thanks for, thanks for joining us thank you for having me yeah welcome thanks welcome to a little more good headquarters aka dean's house <laughs> Dean, dean's beautiful house well, there you go beautiful i just home. managed to clean it up a little bit it's always the best just before you came there was yeah. a knock at the door i was like oh zach's here and it was like a delivery of a of a chair like oh. we just recently moved <laughs> so we're still getting stuff shipped and i was like great a box i finally got rid of all these and now another one oh, no. there you go I love a good company's coming sprint clean. Totally, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, don't go upstairs. No. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Keep that door closed. Yeah. 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 Well, well thanks, thanks for joining us. Uh, when I was thinking about when we first met, uh, I think we first met at one of Aaron Island's run, like Heartbeat Run mm. Club at our Yale Town store. Yeah. That was like our first encounter. And I felt at that time like Aaron was like my one vegan friend. Mm-hmm. And then you came onto the scene and then I felt like kind of a, a plant-based community was yeah. created and it kind of started with uh with meeting you so oh that's so beautiful and i didn't <laughs> know that but i will say about that time that's also the day that i met aaron okay amazing. so i met both of you that day and yeah we've it's we celebrate our friend anniversary every it was during pride we went for a pride run so yes. every i think we're on our fifth friend anniversary this year this past summer nice. and yeah so i know it was a really special auspicious day a joyous time very so joyous. anna's also a runner dean we always somehow yes. like 
loop everyone into talking about running at some okay. point. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's so like, it might happen. Sounds good. Maybe it already did. It seems like a little Maybe more good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little more good. It's like the excuse to be like, oh, let's just get people together and talk about running. Is it <laughs> actually a run club? It might be. <laughs> it might yeah. Be. <laughs> We're run club <laughs> Launching soon. Guess. Launching Sla- soon. Slash tourism for Steveston. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we just always joke we're bringing bringing all the best people out to Steveston to be like, look, you can also live here, and we're just gonna like have our mini blue zone here, right? Just You're campaigning. <laughs> it's true. Oh, it's working pretty well. This is a beautiful spot, right? It's always sunny. I'm yeah. telling you, always the sunny. salty ocean air, exactly. <sighs> sea breeze, yeah. exactly. Here's here's a fun fact about Steveston, and then we can get into the 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 talk for the podcast. But um, Steveston has 47 less days of rain than North Vancouver. Does it? Isn't that crazy? Wow. Our, uh, I had no idea. Our realtor. It could also just be, have been a selling point, but our realtor told us that when we were moving from Vancouver to Steveston. I wonder what the variation is from North Van to East Van. Like, is North Van getting, with the mountains, is it getting more dumping? They definitely get more so, rain. Yeah. 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 There's been times, we have some friends that live out that way, and there's times when I'm like, I'll text like a sunny selfie because yeah. I could just see that it's like socked in. <laughs> you there. can like, see the clouds. <laughs> always sunny and Steveston. They're like, get sunny. out of here. Oh, that is a good selling point. Sunny Steveston. Sunny and Steveston. Yeah. yeah. There we go. All right, so back to that that special day where we connected at uh, the Yale Town store. Um, I thought we could kind of kick off this conversation with with your road uh, to veganism, where that started, mm-hmm. and um, you know what veganism has brought to your life. Mm. Oh, I love that second part. Yeah, so I um, I went vegetarian as a kid, largely out of a love for animals and really just not learning that vegetarianism was a thing and thinking hey that sounds cool like I'd love to do that so that was in you know the early 90s when there wasn't really much in the way of vegetarian you know there's no online right this is like before social media before google and really before at least for me there was really not much of a vegetarian community so it was something that I did on my own and it wasn't like a huge part of my identity it was just a way that I ate but I didn't you know I wasn't an activist I mean I was a little kid right so yes (laughs) So I wasn't an activist for a few different reasons, but, um, yeah. So, and my parents were very supportive and encouraging and they, they, they definitely were not vegetarian at all, but they supported me in expressing my values, which is kind of like part of a broader theme about how I was raised. My parents are very sort of accepting of who people are and encouraging. So I love that they were, you know, they were the right parents for me because Mm -hmm. they really supported me in expressing my values in that way, which became a really important part of my life down the road. So then um, when I was in my 20s, I learned more actually about animal farming. So whereas before it had just been like, I love animals and I don't want to eat them. Now it became a lot more sort of like informed and political. I learned about animal farming and I was really upset. I was disgusted by what I found out, by what's happening to animals. And I keep in mind, like I am a lifelong animal lover and I've always loved animals, but more than that, I've always really worried about them too. Like Mm. I'm the kind of person who has a real concern for animals. I'm, if I walk past a worm on a rainy day, I feel compelled to put it back in the dirt or, you know, just, I'm, I'm, I worry about them. I want to make sure that they're okay. So when I heard out, heard about farming, when I read more about it, I was not okay. And I was really put off as well by what I felt was the government sort of complicity and not, and at this Mm -hmm. time I was studying law 
And so I was thinking a lot about laws and policies, and I had gone to law school with the explicit plan of wanting to use law and policy to create systemic change, not necessarily for animals, although that was kind of on my radar, but just in a general sense. Mm-hmm. I had worked um, as a crisis counselor in the downtown east side, and I was doing health equity law, refugee law, studying animal law. Um, And so I felt really disturbed, actually, by what the government wasn't doing for animals and how the messaging and the narrative around animal farming was so very misleading. I mean, Mm. we all grow up with this message about farms as being friendly places and, you know, holistic places where different species of animals live together with the friendly farmer. And that's really not what modern farming looks like. It's very much, I mean, industrial agriculture, I think, is a very fitting term. It really is industry it's a business Mm -hmm. and it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks like when animals are used for profit there will be suffering it just made so much sense to me like of course when the commodities are sentient there's a problem you know when you're working within a sort of capitalistic profit driven you know economic system so that made sense to me and I also looked into you know I considered like well what about humane farming like what about eggs where the animals don't have to die this kind of thing like I explored different avenues but every time I came down to it I just thought still I'm not okay because still the animals are you know for a variety of reasons but some of them include that the animals are still being bred to have profitable traits that are painful for the animals so in the case of chickens laying eggs they're laying 350 eggs per year in Canada which is way more than any bird in nature would naturally lay and this is very taxing on their bodies the shells have all these vital nutrients from their bodies uh, or the the yolks have all these vital nutrients from their bodies and the shells have calcium and so they're excreting this on a daily basis Um, and their bodies their poor bodies give out and they're sent to slaughter at a very young age that's just one example Mm. but I found that what was happening in animal agriculture even under, under the best of circumstances really did not jive well with my values of you know concern and compassion for animals and and ultimately i just thought if i can choose between killing for this meal or not killing for this meal i'm going to choose not killing and it's going to win out at probably every time for me um yeah and that's where you know that's where i land on the issue mm. heavy heavy start to the, no, to yeah. the conversation <laughs> but, but like let's dive right in right yeah i mean, I mean that's the truth that's my truth that's that's how i came to it and that's um yeah. and that that continues to motivate me i mean my motivations have shifted over the years this is 12 13 years ago now so it's become more um spiritual for me as well it's more of a do no harm like living living lightly kind of value system as well and I'm sure that my values will continue to evolve but every time I consider like hey do I want to you know eat eat eggs eat salmon like people are doing I just think still no like I'd still rather pick the lentils because I know that nobody nobody had to suffer for that yeah well and even the point that you made earlier about the way that we're kind of like given that the government doesn't do a lot to show what's actually going on mm-hmm. and how we can raise awareness not only through our choices but like how we talk about it and say things like you know you watch a you see a tv commercial for cheese or yogurt or Mm -hmm. whatever and it looks very calm and serene Mm -hmm. and the farm is beautiful Mm -hmm. and it's like what we have yeah it's like childlike image of a farm right different animals yeah like yeah totally right everything's so so good it's a it's this beautiful place like rolling pastures and it looks Mm -hmm. like well what was the the california cows are happy cows or whatever Mm -hmm. and there's like they they look like they're just living the dream out there. Mm-hmm. But then you juxtapose that with like a CAFO mm-hmm. or industrialized mm-hmm. 
agricultural systems from around North America around mm-hmm. the world and it's they the, don't look like that it's the polar opposite it right? is and people not only would be like oh that's disgusting and awful and then they see the environmental impact as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. it's like why are we doing this mm-hmm. which is which is yeah. that 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 information still it's less so but it still feels like hidden or not mm-hmm. as not as talked about so it is, it is hidden for sure. Yeah. But I mean, that really, that that's how that's how come animal products are so inexpensive. I mean, when you go to the store and four liters of milk is, I mean, I actually have no idea how much it is now, but it's probably not very expensive, about $5 yeah. or something. Like, that's not very much, you yeah. know, like considering all the inputs that go into producing milk for such a large animal. So. And these might be obvious things for you, but for, for listeners that are maybe new to veganism or... or new to the idea of veganism um cow's milk is for baby cows it's for cows <laughs> yeah and uh chicken's eggs like correct me if i'm wrong but that's like their menstrual cycle right yeah in, i mean in a, in a yeah in a way better yeah. For yeah. i mean it, it's an unfertilized egg so yeah it's yeah. the expulsion of that unfertilized egg yeah yeah, yeah. so when you like yeah. kind of change the language and yeah. and take away these like happy euphemisms for like what's really happening it's yeah. like if you said that to a, a child or even to a stranger like want to share a meal with me and have some like baby cow's milk yeah and well and like like the irony is if you were to say to someone all right you're a human so are you thirsty do you want some human milk like do you want some breast milk people would be like revolted be, by that idea right yeah. it's like completely inappetizing unappetizing yeah. but the same it's funny that we have this kind of like conditioned standard that we don't think that way about cow's milk in particular um which yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it it's just how we've been socialized so it goes to show how powerful kind of culture and familiarity can be in shaping our values and what we consider to be normal right and it varies from culture to culture because it varies from culture to culture what's acceptable here and normal here you might Mm -hmm. find in you know refrigerators all around the country you go to another place and like that's weird that you Mm -hmm. would eat that or you visit somewhere else and you're shocked at what someone's serving you as food, mm-hmm. but it's because we have a different different emotional attachment to whatever that mm-hmm. thing is. Mm-hmm. For one person, it's food. For another person, it might be like, no, like I grew up riding horses and having stables. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you ever consider like eating a horse? Mm-hmm. And yet, it's like a hamburger for lunch. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. We just have these interesting associations that lead us to like very different conclusions on mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'll eat this, but not this. Well, why? Well, why? Yeah. And it's like that. It's almost the thing where, well, this is normal. Mm-hmm. But if you ask the next question, like, is it? Or how come this is normal and this isn't? Mm-hmm. Pretty soon that argument, like, runs dry. It's re- it's a really hard question to answer most for most people because the, the, the answer is there is no answer. It's just it's just because this is how, how what I how I've been raised and yeah. I've never really thought about it. Yes, you know? which is the that's the if thing. If people are being honest, I mean usually they'll have they'll say some things because that's our in our human nature is to say something but really like what's really going on here is you have nothing to say <laughs> now we just type those things angrily into a keyboard <laughs> post in them. the comment section well yeah. that's one thing that you i've got a couple anna pippis quotes here that i wrote down Ooh. um i was doing my you know anna listening and reading oh i appreciate uh, that thanks <laughs> so one thing you said is animal eating animals is not logical it's emotional mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can you can you touch on that a little bit 
Yeah, I mean, I think like playing off of exactly what Dean was talking about, the way that we eat animals is um, it's based on our conditioning and the animals that we choose to eat is not logical. I mean, it's not based on necessity. It's not based on what's available to us because if it were, we would eat cats and dogs. Um, but we don't. We we when our cats and like, let's take it in a sort of an extreme example that's kind of grotesque, but just to illustrate the point, like, let's say one of our beloved, I have cats, and when my cats die, I would never think of eating their bodies, right? It would be sacrilege. It yes. would be disgusting. I, 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 and I certainly wouldn't think of sending them to a slaughterhouse because, well, that's an efficient way to kill them. No, I hire, if, they're, if I'm able to give them the dignity of euthanasia in my home, which sometimes you know, you're not always that lucky, but if I am, then I'm hiring someone to come and we're conducting a ceremony and there's a, a rich goodbye and there's many tears shed and photographs taken and then the body is respectfully cremated and the ash... I mean, this is how we say goodbye to pets that we love. And, you know, this... this if, if it were purely logic, if it were purely just like rationally thinking it through on an intellectual level, certainly we wouldn't do that. We would just, mm -hmm. you know, maybe we would ship them off. We would send them to slaughter. We would, oh, this is perfectly good food. We would eat them because in some parts of the world, cat and dog meat is perfectly good meat. Why would you waste this meat? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, not, and I'm not saying that in a judgmental way, because if you live in a culture where calories are more scarce, then absolutely it makes sense to eat the of calories course. that are around you. Um, it's a privilege to live in a time and place when I can go to the grocery store and afford to buy the lentils that are grown here in Canada. And, mm -hmm. and so that's a choice that I, that I choose to make. But um, these are very, very emotional decisions that we make. And there are emotional decisions in the other direction as well, in the sense that the foods that we're attached to have an emotional resonance because maybe we grew up eating mac and cheese and this is the fami familiar comfort food. Maybe mm -hmm. we have an emotional memory of our, you know, of our mother lovingly preparing it for us or, you know, whatever it is. Like we all have these emotional relationships with different foods that we eat. Um, turkey with your grandmother over the holidays is a big one. People sometimes think like, but I can't can't you know get uh, what about turkey at christmas this is something that people really struggle with like well i'm interested in going vegan but i, c I can't imagine a christmas dinner table without turkey and mm -hmm. so you know there's no there's no like right or wrong way to approach that but it's just to consider that these are you know really emotional decisions that we have to make about how like well we, first of all i mean with emotional processing it's like you need to first identify like what is it that what is wh how am i feeling like what am i feeling here and to I, to identify and process that to create some space between your feelings and your reactions and then to decide from a values based point of view okay now how am i going to proceed how do i want to live no, mm. you know knowing that this is how i'm feeling i think bringing that intention into your your food and your eating habits brings kind of carries over to so much intention in other parts of your life um, mm -hmm. or your life um, like thinking I think before I became vegan I was such a passive eater you know mm -hmm. it was just like I'm hungry I'm gonna go get this there wasn't that much thought mm -hmm. and then bringing that intention into into eating and and those values that you talk about bringing mm -hmm. aligning your values with with what's on your plate I think brought so much more intention into all aspects mm -hmm. like um the idea of you know afflicting less cruelty mm -hmm. uh being kinder being more mm -hmm. compassionate being nicer i think mm -hmm. that when you're projecting that onto your food choices i think hopefully you're projecting that onto how you live the rest of your life and yeah 
No, I think that's very wise. I mean, it, it's like a muscle. Like when, when we exercise being thoughtful about what we're doing, being, considering others, considering our impacts, considering our values. I mean, these are all really good things to practice as people who are you know, growing in a positive direction. Um, and practicing it with our food choices is necessarily going to spill over into other important realms. How do I want to work? How do I want to relate to people? What do I want for my, how do I want to parent? I mean, all of these mm. really important fundamental areas. And isn't it like often the opposite of that? Like I, in my experience, at least for me, it's like all of these other avenues of life, parenting, like showing up as the same person, you know, at work with my friends to my kids, wherever it is, mm-hmm. like you, you strive for consistency mm-hmm. and like, what is the way that I can, you know, reduce my impact in the world, right? Mm-hmm. I will recycle and da 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 and, mm-hmm. you know, try and buy less, right? All mm-hmm. of these things go into it. And then when it comes to food choices, we often like don't ever address that one. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing for me, where it's like you're trying to live a value aligned life mm-hmm. and then three or more times a day, what was on my plate was like in stark mm-hmm. contrast to all of the other stuff that I really valued, right? Mm-hmm. Like people, I'd say I'm an environmentalist, like let's go plant trees, let's take mm-hmm. care of nature, isn't that? But mm-hmm. like first hamburgers, let's mm-hmm. go, let's eat so we can go. Mm-hmm. And, and then it was like that awareness, right? Mm-hmm. So I think for a lot of people, it's, they're, we're, we're all trying to do a little more good, yeah, right? We're trying, good, we're yeah. trying to be better, but then sometimes those unthoughtful mm-hmm. or un, like unrealized things, yeah, yeah, where they're like, oh, I've never even thought about how I eat yeah. is actually not aligned with that. Yeah. So do you think that's one of the biggest obstacles to people is like an awareness thing or kind of unlearning some of those practices? Like what are, if we're talking barriers, mm-hmm. like what are some of the barriers that you think or that you've seen people come up against or have heard? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's such a good question because I think there are a lot of barriers for people and I think the barriers can be so varied. Um, I think that in general, some people tend to be either more open to new experiences or just at a stage of life where they're kind of more open to things. I think people when they're young, maybe students, a little bit more transient in their living situations, it's like, hey, let's throw one more new experiment in the hopper. And this is why (laughs) young people are so exciting with like leading the charge on, you know, now it's zero waste initiatives and whatever it is, like they come up with ideas and they're just crazy enough to see them through. Um, So that that can be important. You know, these are, I'm talking, these are total generalities, right? because of course this is not true for all young people and it, it doesn't also therefore follow that therefore anyone who's not a young person like isn't making changes because yeah. that's certainly not what I mean to say. Old but dogs can Yeah, they certainly tricks. can <laughs> learn new tricks. So yeah, so there is just that kind of like openness and that can also be a personality trait. Some people in general are more interested in new experiences and some people are more creatures of habit. They like familiarity. They're, they're, you know, there are people who forget veganism but just food in general there are people who love to try new things and new restaurants and then there are other people who eat the same thing every meal like for multiple years and so those can just be differences in personality so of course I think it goes without saying that the people who are more open to new things might be more interested in experimenting with how to cook tofu than you know than people who are just not of that personality or in that life life stage right now um I think also the emotional connection that we were talking about can be very powerful. So um, it can be hard to let go of old, you know, familiar, comforting ways of living and and to make changes. I mean, change is hard. Change is hard, period. Change mm-hmm. is hard for everyone. Um, and asking people to make 
changes for the for the good it's like it needs to be kind of at the right time that it needs to be there needs to be um they need to feel motivated they need to feel like they can do it they need to feel empowered they need to feel like it's worthwhile Mm -hmm. um and in this case when it's sort of like a values thing or you know maybe because it's like for your for some people for their health is motivating so there is sort of like a more like personal um personal like motivation there um, and then I just think, so I think though, I think that, I think the change, the change element is enormous, but then also practically speaking, I think what a lot of people will say, although I think this is a smaller barrier than m- what most people say is what most people say is, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Um, people are not familiar with cooking vegan food. They don't know where to begin. And so this can be a common problem. Now, of course there are resources out there, mm-hmm. but even so it can feel overwhelming. Right. And people just don't know, like, hey, what's, you know, what's step one and what is it going to look like? And when we can't picture it, it's like our minds just don't even want to engage with it, especially when people are in a very busy season of life, maybe busy with work, busy with parenting small children, busy with hobbies, busy with caregiving elder relatives, whatever it may be. They might just be thinking, I do not have the capacity to take on this enormous new thing right now. Take Mm -hmm. the line of least resistance. For sure. Like, they're like, I'm in survival mode (laughs) and I'm just going to get through this. Yeah. Well, this might be, I think we'll jump all around, but I think in some ways, this is a good segue to talk about your upcoming book, mm-hmm. because I think that does... Speaking of how. Speaking yeah, of how. If only there was a resource. Well, let's go through yeah. some resources and some tips, but it's all in your book. So uh, firstly, congrats. Your book's beautiful. Thank you. I, I think it fills a gap in the, the vegan um, book scene as well. Cool. Um, there's a lot of books you pick up and you look at the recipe and then you're like, there's no, there's no fucking way I'm making this. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> look, the picture is beautiful. Yeah. But I don't have an hour and a half. I, I don't have the time. I, yeah. I, I think your book is one of the most like practical, practical, approachable uh, vegan cookbooks that I've seen. So congratulations. Thank yeah. you. I hope so. I hope so. Do you want to tell us um, the name of your book and a little bit about it and then we'll, we'll jump into a few questions book related and mm-hmm. we'll see where that goes from there. Sounds good. Okay, so the book is called The Vegan Family Cookbook although I will say it's not just for vegans and it's not just for families. <laughs> the reason it's called that is because I wrote the book that I desperately needed when I was transitioning into being the primary cook, the kitchen manager, if you will, mm-hmm. for um, my vegan family and it's a transition that I think is challenging for a lot of people because um, sometimes when we're younger we have more time we're out you know getting burritos while we're bike riding around and we're or we have time to like make handmade ravioli on the weekend or whatever you know it's like you're kind of it's a different life stage but when you have kids as we all know it's like suddenly that's not really your lifestyle anymore you need to be at home cooking nutritious meals or preparing nutritious meals three times a day they need to be crowd pleasing they need to be simple they need to not take a lot of time or bandwidth because sometimes it's not just the time but it's also just the energy like you're like I can't read through this recipe is too many words for my brain right now you know and it's like too much and so I speaking of barriers I think that can be an enormous barrier Mm -hmm. and even even recipes in general I think can be 
um, kind of overwhelming because you have to read through it. You have to see, do I have the ingredients? Then you're like measuring things out and you're double checking. You're like, what did that? So was that one teaspoon? So like, what again? And then you've, you're doing the dishes. And so on that note, in addition to the simple recipes with streamlined preparation processes, I also really wanted to make the book a strategy manual for how to get organized in the kitchen and how to cook without recipes like how to use the recipes as inspiration and as a springboard but the recipes have a lot of variations like here's ways that you can adapt it or adjust it as well as different kinds of templates so every chapter has some sort of like how-to component like how to make soup without a recipe how to put together a bowl the bowl chapter is really is organized a little bit differently instead of giving you prescriptive bowl recipes of different combinations I provide each, there's a section on each of the parts of a bowl and the parts of of my bowls are a grain or starch base, a legume, vegetables, sauces, and toppings. So there's Mm -hmm. a section for each of those. And then at the end, it's a grid that says, and here are the ways that I would put these together with like 20 or something different different suggestions for how to put them together. So um, I really wanted to make it, I mean, my, my guiding principle for this book was I wanted it to be helpful. And it really is a love letter to people hmm. who are struggling as I was with, I, I just like, I am blanking at dinner time at three o'clock clock I have this dreaded feeling of like what's for dinner tonight like crap you're blanking like you've you're like you can't think of literally one single recipe that you could make um and so that that that's the book that I wanted to write I wanted to write the book that I needed when I had a shelf full of cookbooks the internet with millions of recipes at my fingertips and I still had no clue what to make for dinner right I wanted to solve that problem for people because I had solved that problem for myself And one of the ways that I solved that problem and one of the ways that the book is organized is I started cooking with meal themes. This for me was a lifesaver. So on, I do, I I plan, sort of like roughly plan four meals a week. On Mondays, it's pasta. On Tuesdays, it's uh, bowls. Wednesdays are one pot Wednesdays. And then on Thursdays, we've got like stir fries or other sort of like Pan-Asian inspired meals. And just having that loose idea gives you a jumping off point. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, when you're like, maybe you remember being a student and if somebody were to say like, write a paper on something, you'd be like, I I have no idea what to write about. But if somebody gives you a prompting question, the creative juices are flowing. So that's what meal themes do for me. Monday is past night and I'm going, ooh, like maybe a cream sauce, tomato sauce. Ooh, we could do a pesto. Like, ooh, we could even do, it's a kind of cool day. We could do a pasta bake. Like, so then you're on to something. Ooh, we have mushrooms. Oh, that's perfect for a marinara, that kind of thing. Tuesdays are bowls. Okay, like I know, you know, I'm running through it. So then you just need to kind of think of, like, what are our go-to things on this right now? And the book is organized in that way. So it's got those four different chapter heading, chapter headings instead of being organized by, like, dinner, appetizers, entrees. I wanted to be, like, Monday, pasta. Yes. And, you, and you don't, obviously, you don't need to adopt my exact meal themes. Right. Um, you can the even recipes- eat gasp. Yeah, so on Thursdays. Yeah, I love that. from the book. <laughs> when I was reading it, like, just because I know you, I, I would hear your voice, yes. like, through all of them and, and your, your sense of humor throughout it. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. But yeah, it's so I try good. to write like I talk. Yeah. No, but it's so that, good because it's like, it, it makes it, like, accessible, right? Mm-hmm, Anyone, mm-hmm. you don't have to have the full meal plan. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if it's three o'clock, because it's, we've all been there when it's like you're, you're so hungry and you want to get dinner going and you just can't think of what you're going to eat. It, like we can all relate to that, right? Yeah. You're just like, there are no meals in the world, are there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Because then you go to, if Megan's out and I'm in charge of cooking for the kids, I'm like, 
shit, should we have cereal? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which is not bad. Which yeah. isn't bad. Yeah. There's worse things. There's but, but when it's like your third night in a row, yeah. of cereal, <laughs> yeah. cereal again, boys. But I found it really empowering reading about the themes and mm-hmm. yeah. how that can take something that is potentially very stressful and, and anxiety-inducing to something that, like I mentioned, is empowering or, or can, you know, on the opposite end of stress, bring joy into your life mm-hmm, because you mm-hmm. feel like you're in control. Like uh, mm-hmm. the idea that you mentioned of being a kitchen manager in mm-hmm. your own house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a it's a real job. Like I think people who are the primary cooks in their homes need to get some credit for the job because oh, yeah. it's not just like it's not just cooking a recipe, right? It's like deciding what needs to get made, getting the, making sure the ingredients are available and fresh when you need them. It's making sure it's do, doing the actual cooking. It's cleaning up. And then it's making sure that the leftovers get used or repurposed before they go bad. Like it's a full on job. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so much more than just cooking the recipes. Like I bet you that a lot of people who are the primary cooks for their family would say, if it comes down to deciding what to make or doing the cooking, I would rather do do the cooking and contract out the deciding what to make because that can really be the hard part sometimes. Yeah. And I find that this like meal theme idea, for me, it was a really good middle ground between having no plan, which is results in this chaos that we're, talking, we're all relating to now, or on the other hand, having like sort of like a rigid meal plan, like where you sit down in the weekend and you go through your cookbooks and you write down a recipe, which I tried to do. But it never worked for me because it was way too rigid. There was no, like it required, first of all, it required sitting down every weekend and doing that and then going grocery shopping. And it felt like such a chore. There was no joy in it. It was like such a slog. If it didn't happen, we'd be hooped for the week because there was no plan to fall back on. It was like, oh, we didn't meal plan. I guess we're like cereal for dinner this week, kids. So, you know, it's like the meal plans allow you to completely neglect all responsibilities on the weekend as long as you pick up your basic groceries. And most of us kind of get into a routine of our basic groceries. And it makes it even easier if you've got your meal plans because you're like, all right, do I have pasta? Do I have a grain or a potato for the bowls? Do I have some legumes for the one-pot meal? Do I have soy sauce and tofu for my, you know, stir-fry, whatever? Like you just, And then you pick up some vegetables and there then you're, you're done. It's really easy that way. Yeah. I like the easy wins you had to, like, start in the week with pasta like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be this like glamorous complicated meal like pasta your on-ramp meal yeah just so easy yeah. the easiest meal honestly yeah. yeah so good and so easy like i love how you've made it you know sometimes you approach a cookbook or a recipe and it's what you were talking about earlier like read it over double check it mm-hmm. make sure i have all the ingredients mm-hmm. do i know what this is what that ingredient is whereas like you're even in the kind of like welcome or introduction to your book you're talking about like you don't have use this as a guide. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't like mm-hmm. a, do exactly all of these steps, mm-hmm. but rather here's a guide that will help you. Mm-hmm. And I find that, you know, I love to cook and recipes. I've always approached them like that. Mm-hmm. Like, unless it's something very specific that needs to happen right. for the baking recipe to work. Or... Yeah. Like my wife does all the baking because okay. I tried baking like a banana bread once and it turned out like a power bar. No, Cause I guess like no. baking soda and baking powder are oh, different things. They are know. different things. Yeah. That's an important difference. Yeah. But like, I always say, I was like <laughs> cooking or like baking is like math and science yes, whereas yeah. cooking is art. So I'm like, give me the art. Oh, let's go. Let's make something yeah, beautiful. I right. Feel you. Yeah. But it, how, how you can approach it in such a way that's like really freeing and empowering to say, we're going to make a bowl, grain, starch, whatever, some veggies, this like, throw it together, be creative. You're mm-hmm. empowering people, giving them enough mm-hmm. steps, but not so many that it's like overwhelming mm-hmm. to where like, oh, I can't do that because I don't have this spice or this ingredient. Be like, mm. 
it's so it's so good and it's maybe a little unusual and hopefully more accessible to people to say yeah. use this as a guide rather than like exactly like yes. follow these steps yeah. in order to succeed right well and i think that like as you observe like you yourself do this because you it sounds very similar to me like for you cooking is like a, cre a creative process and an art form but, and that's what that's why we love to cook because for us we are in that flow state yeah. if you're following recipes all the time you're not in that flow state it's a chore yeah and so i think that the key is to get people to move from chore to flow state and the key to that that is to move beyond the recipes and so yes people need recipes recipes have a role right especially when you're learning I mean undeniably they're the best way to communicate exactly how to make something if I'm yes. just like throwing a little of this it's more precise to say it, that what exact quantity was one tablespoon right like so then you know so for sure there's a role but I just think it's really important and you use the word empowerment and for me that's the, the key word is to empower people to know you can do this you can learn to cook for yourself without recipes you can riff on recipes you can add or delete based on what you have what you like what you're feeling that day what's going bad in your fridge yeah and that's the way that cooking is going to become sustainable for people. Because my hunch is that if we can never move people from the chore state to the flow state, they're never going to love cooking. And if you never love cooking, you're never going to be able to sustainably do it. You're always going to be like looking for shortcuts, falling back on the, the convenience food or the takeout foods or the cereal, mm. <laughs> which no judgment because 100% that happens in our house too. Thanks, Anna. So... <laughs> So yeah, I just, I think it's, I think it's sort of like one of the secrets of like, of, of making cooking practical. And that's my, that's really what I set out to do. I was like, I don't want to write just a cookbook that is just going to confuse people even more, create even more confusion of choice and sort of feelings of like inadequacy. Mm. I, I don't want to add to that. I want to create something that I hope is going to give people a sense of, I can do this. And not only that, but it's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it gets people excited about it. And I don't know, maybe trying new things, right? Which is, again, we talked about earlier, like change and change can be hard, mm -hmm. but starting to adopt like, new recipes without you know let's make a pasta cream sauce but without using dairy cream mm -hmm. or or let's do like lentil meatballs or whatever mm -hmm. it could be there's so many variations and simple swaps yeah people mm -hmm. can start to experiment and find that sure change can be intimidating but it's not impossible mm -hmm. and like with a helpful guide and not a strict rigid mm -hmm. thing like you can maybe get there sooner than you even thought right mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's finding the excitement it's finding it's finding what's good about the change you know and that's that is going to be different for different people but it's finding what's good about the change for you and finding some excitement behind it and just being prepared to yeah leave behind that boring status quo <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Well, one one thing I liked about the book not only were the recipes accessible but just looking through your ingredients, they're also, you made health very accessible and nutrition mm -hmm. very accessible. Even on a, a vegan spectrum, like, you know, you mentioned, you know, using lentils instead of cauliflower mm -hmm. or, or more nutrient-rich foods. And you really illustrated how to bring those nutrient-dense foods into everyday meals. So mm -hmm. uh, can you talk a little bit about the health side, some of the powerhouses that you cook with, like the lentils, the beans? Mm -hmm. um, and how, you know, just kind of looking at it, like I, I felt if somebody ate all this food, they're going to not only 
is their kitchen life going to be easier, but they're going to feel good. They're going to feel good. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you so much for asking that because that is such an important point and it's one that I think I, yeah, I would have forgotten to make, but um, it, because to me it's like breathing that it's like, of course, food should also be nutritious and make you feel good, but you know, that's not necessarily a given. And I think it's really important to address that. Um, you know, I think there's different ways of approaching vegan, of people who like create vegan recipes. And there's a, there's a role for all of them. Sometimes people are creating like decadent, explosive, you know, complicated vegan recipes. It's fun to create something that's just like super rich or it's fun to like recreate, you know, a familiar taste from childhood. And there's for sure a role for that. But what I am doing in, in the cookbook, which is a mirror of my real life, is I am cooking to feel good. I'm cooking to feed a family. I'm cooking for a nutritional balance. So the, the example that you gave of like, I'm not making cauliflower burgers. Why? Because that's missing a perfectly good opportunity to use beans. And we got to eat our beans, people. <laughs> cauliflower is not, cauliflower is a good side, but it, it can't serve as the basis of a meal. We got to get those, these legumes in. They're too important. We got to have those, uh, that full amino acid profile, and we got to have the iron and I mean, they're just, they're, they've got to be part of like most meals. Um, same thing with jackfruit. I'm like, yeah, it's delicious. I love a good pulled jackfruit. I literally never make it. Why not? Because when I'm making tacos, I'm using beans, people. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not get the memo? <laughs> yeah. So that's how, I mean, my approach to food is like, it's, if, if it's not nutritionally balanced, like I don't, it, it's it's a it's a no-go and that's not to say there's no r role for treats because of course absolutely you know you got to have the ice cream and the cookies and the donuts and the fun foods as well there's a role for that but for day-to-day -day cooking it has to be food that makes us feel good and as for some some of those are like powerhouse ingredients like when I'm approaching thinking about what to make and how to cook now this has become second nature to me now through years of habit but really it's trying to figure out I'm I'm thinking okay how can I get in beans and lentils to like you know ideally two meals a day I'm thinking what, what are beans and lentils beans for, and lentils what, what are they bringing into our life on a nutrition like a protein yeah fiber. so it's the protein fiber I mean, fiber isn't most things if you're plant-based it's pretty much everything yeah. um and iron is really important as well yeah. um some beans like white beans are a good source of calcium as well um lots of good trace vitamins and minerals as well that you're you're not necessarily getting if you're only eating sort of like from the the grains and vegetable side of the food pyramid you gotta have those the beans and lentils in there and beans and lentils doesn't need to be complicated you know if you're thinking that and you're like i don't eat beans and lentils you probably do because if you eat tofu that's a bean if you drink soy milk that's a bean if you eat hummus which let's face it we all do everyone <laughs> yes. eats hummus copious amounts copious of hummus. so much so much hummus just give me a spoon Yes. That's, you know, chickpeas, of course. So there's a lot of different ways of getting legumes in, and it might even be that soy milk on the cereal. So um, <laughs> it's doable. Anna. It's doable. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Virtual high five. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, it's, um, there, I'm also trying to think about getting in like brassica foods. So that's foods like cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli, kale, radishes, even, um, these foods contain sulfur, which is a uniquely health promoting compound, especially for us grownups who are trying to avoid, um, lifestyle diseases like cancer. You know, we want to delay that as long as possible. Uh, these foods can be really important for that. And then just an array of colorful veggies, which can be prepared in different ways. 
Um, and then another one that I'm always trying to squeeze in and shoehorn into every food possible is omega-rich seeds. So mm-hmm. chia seeds, hemp seeds, flax seeds, my, the recipes in the book, like if they can include those recipes, especially at breakfast, because that just is an easy place to put them, they are in there. So they are in the waffles, they're in the pancakes, they're in the smoothies, yeah. they're in the granola. Yeah. They're everywhere. They're in the oatmeal. Those are such easy wins too. Like I feel like you can mm-hmm. put hemp seed on just about anything, anything, oh, everything, yeah. and it yeah. doesn't really affect the flavor profile. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it is like we were talking about powerhouses it's like yeah. the littlest powerhouse yeah. i felt like yeah. i felt like i had such a such a victory the other day i was like kind of jonesing for a mid-afternoon snack so i had my like high high fiber like seedy bread hummus mm-hmm. like a nice thick layer of hummus of course you did and then i was like oh you know what would be really good on here hemp yes <laughs> and, always. and uh flax like crushed flaxseed nice. on there and then sprouts and just like and that was such, a, I was like, this is like a nutritional powerhouse little snack here, right? That's a perfect meal. I mean, yeah. that's the kind of meal that I'm all about because it's it's easy. It's animal free. Easy animal free. Hey. It's nutritious. You, you're hitting all the elements there. For me, I'm just like, oh, yes, like nail this meal. Right. And it's <laughs> and honestly, it's like ready to eat in Minutes. 45 seconds yeah. like yeah, it's yeah. so it's so quick it's to so make quick. right yeah. Yeah. yeah and it was i was like how have i never done this before like this yeah. is so good it's so, so it's perfect yeah, yeah those it's, are those are little ways that like you can sneak it in yeah and it's good it, t- it tastes great yeah. and it's so good for you like yeah. such a such a good it's way such a win. yeah that's one of my chef it. tips because i'm you know Sometimes I do more than cereal. Sometimes I do instant oatmeal. Ooh, oh yeah. <laughs> and I always have the hemshear flax, and then I nice. feel like a really good dad because I threw in the head. Yeah, Hemshire for sure. Yeah. yeah, you got those omegas, the zinc, the protein. That's good stuff. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Get healthy fats. So, so anti, anti, uh, not anti-aging, but like anti-inflammatory um, mm-hmm. or uh, disease-fighting foods. You mentioned like uh, broccoli and these ones. Lots of people growing their own sprouts and like do that kind of stuff. I, I just said like threw them on my, my bread. Do you um, some, like sprouted foods? Is that something you, you encourage or have in the book or? I do. So um, sprouted or soaked foods can be a good way to make grains more digestible, to make it so that you're able to absorb more of those important minerals like iron and zinc that everyone needs. But particularly when you're not eating meat, you want to just pay a little attention to it to make sure that you're getting those things. So um, for me, that looks like if I'm making rice that night, then I'm going to, if I think of it, I'm going to soak it in the morning and then come home and uh, I boil it like pasta. That's for the heavy metals, the arsenic and rice and then drain it off so that, that's just a little you know just, um, switch that you can make bread for sure sourdough or sprouted grains is a good option when choosing bread um, I go through phases of doing sprouts and they're so nutritious like you're getting all that all the all the goodies that are in the seed that we're going to go into the plant are just in that little tiny sprout so that's a really nutritious way to eat and it's environmentally friendly it's easy to do and anyone who like me is a gardener and is jonesing in the winter to do some gardening you can make them in your kitchen even when it's zero degrees outside so yeah so those are those are just easy ways to take what you're already doing and just maybe enhance the the nutrition I mean I you know I'm not a nutrition expert this is just like little things that I I'm doing so like quote you know go listen to Desiree or somebody yeah, else yeah. For, for the actual when we first met, and don't I, quote me on this I remember directing like every any any question that was on like on a plant-based Facebook group or anything I'd like tag Anna I was like Anna knows the answer <laughs> she knows everything <laughs> even if you don't know that was my like projection of you when we first met. Yeah. she'll probably know. <laughs> Anna's got the answers that's so thank good thank you so kids 
Mm-hmm. Two young boys, growing boys. Kids can be picky. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. parents worry about getting the right nutrients for kids, and they're mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm worried about the calcium. I'm mm-hmm. worried about the protein. I'm worried they'll stunt their growth if we go vegan. Mm-hmm. You know, some of those things. Yeah. So can you touch on some easy wins for kids, like how mm-hmm. you approached making meals that were exciting for your kids and any uh, health concerns that parents might have about adapting a, a vegan diet for their family? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Two-part question. So important. Good question. <laughs> so, I mean, what vegan kids need to eat is more or less the same as what we need to eat. Their concerns are mostly the same. Um, but there's some little differences with these little people, which is that yes. they are little, so they have tiny little tummies. So for them, um, and again, I just want to say, like, I'm not a nutrition expert. So go to, like, veganhealth.org for, or theveganrd.com for, for, to, like, verify everything that I'm yes. saying. And possibly I'm getting wrong because I'm this is not my... We won't hold you to it. <laughs> don't quote yeah. yeah. me on this. <laughs> um, any, again, this is just what I do in my family. And I know it can be helpful to hear how other people sort of operationalize these totally. ideas because I'm not... You don't always want a scientific resource. You want to know, like, but what do you do? How do yeah, you make yeah, it work? Yeah, like, anecdotally, how does it work anecdotally for sure so this is just an anecdote yeah Yeah. so i mean little you know kids can we do juice in our house which you know what maybe i wouldn't do if we weren't a vegan family but i think they get so much fiber um and they eat such you know nutrient dense like a lot of like low calorie vegetables and plant-based foods and stuff like that so i feel like you know juice can be a healthy part of our diet so orange juice or pineapple juice or something like that um for a few reasons one it's a low fiber food a good way to you know increase calories um and it's also good paired so the vitamin c we have oats for breakfast every day in some form oat pancakes oat waffles mm-hmm. granola oatmeal some in some way oats are involved uh, oats are a good source of iron but iron is made more abs- bioavailable more absorptive with when it's paired with vitamin c four to six times more right. more iron so it's it's important to add in that vitamin c so i'll usually give my kids a little i mean and myself as well i'll have a little bit of juice to to make it an easy and delicious way to get that iron um with kids as well, yeah, they can be picky. So, you know, it's going dif- to, different kids can be different levels of picky and they can be picky in different ways. So it is going to depend. I think that one, one thing that, I mean, everyone I should, should do or should at least consider doing is I just, I'm a big proponent of multivitamins. Like mm-hmm. I know some people are like, no, you got to get it from food. But like, I, I just don't really buy that because I don't want to have to be stressing, like counting, like, did you get enough vitamin A today? Did you eat your orange right. vegetables? Like, did you get a full complement of the B vitamins? Like, I, I just, it's not how I want to spend my time and my mental bandwidth. So I give them a little kid's multivitamin to cover my basis in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do, although we eat a lot of omega-rich seeds, I just, as an insurance policy, give them a little spoonful of the Nutri-Veggie, you know, yeah. kid-friendly um, flavored omega-3, like DHA and EPA oil. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little, it's not necessary. like, it's not specifically for kids, but I just give them a little, like kind of three quarter teaspoon or half teaspoon of it a few times a week. Um, and what else? So, yeah, I mean, kids typically, this is generalities, but kids typically like tofu. They tend to like hummus. They tend to, um, like pasta meals another good tip for families is to go to is to use meals that can be like customized for each of for the people eating so bowls are a really good example where like my husband Arden and I will have a huge portion of salad and the kids will have a tiny portion of salad and they might have more of the grains they need that energy because they are like 
no joke, like bouncing off the walls, like from 7.30 until like 9 p.m. They got to have that extra energy. Um, and then we sort of like the same amount of the legume and yeah, whatever. <laughs> so that, that's another way to think about it. Um, and then I just think like, there are there are some rest um, you know ways to eat that tend to be more family friendly, more crowd pleasing, and those are largely the recipes in the book. Although I do have some recipes that are you know just for me, like the things that I'm making for lunch when it's just me or something like that. But you know, in general, kids they like waffles. Like we have waffles for, for breakfast every day. If I if I weren't a mom, like maybe I wouldn't be eating waffles every day. But like <laughs> yeah. that's how my kids really like to eat oats, and it's perfect because the recipes in the book it's oats, chia seeds, soy milk. We son has thrown some hemp seeds, cinnamon. Like it's a, just it's a nutritious way of eating it, and it's yummy. You can throw some fruit on there, some thawed organic blueberries, and that's a really easy meal for everyone to to eat. Amazing. It's one of the first recipes, I think, right? In your book? It's in the, it's in the first chapter. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the first recipes. I like that you put your favorites in the book, too. Like, mm-hmm. you kind of mentioned what the theme's like, here are a few of my favorites, because I'm like a sucker when someone recommends something. I'm yeah. Like, okay, well, if this is coming from someone that I trust, yeah. I'm going to go Well, that's what I always want to know. I'm like, when I read a book, I'm like, but what do you make? Like, what do you actually yeah. make? Which, which are the ones that you were like, oh, this is this a is, killer recipe? Yes. Which are the ones that you were like... I guess I could include, you know, it's like, you really want to know. I mean, for, for me, this book really is like the companion of the recipes that we really do eat. Like these are real recipes, not just like, I'm not like a content creator. I am a person cooking dinner for my family and (laughs) writing down the recipes. Um, But even so there are some that are just like major winners, like the ones that I've relied on. And I tried to include that note, not only in the intros of the chapters, like, Hey, shout out. Like these are the ones that are really extra love, but also in the head notes to explain like, Hey, the role that this plays in my life is like, this is so easy for when you just, you know, cannot like, stand to to think about what's for dinner kind of thing so yeah kind of those practical tips it's an easy way for people to like flip through and put a sticky note on it to be like mm-hmm. okay the mm-hmm. pink tabs are like the i need an easy meal yeah. night. the green tabs are like i got some time i want to do something yeah. creative like yeah. you can go through and market yourself right it's just sure. by because it's so i love i love a cookbook i love flipping through it and looking and then marking like the recipes but even just that simple to go with the themes right of planning you could very quickly in an evening instead of watching a Netflix show like flip through a book and mm-hmm. have months and months of recipes and say okay these are the ones like these are the Anna Pivis, like recommendations mm-hmm. go to go to's and so it just makes a, a really user-friendly resource like even that much more so like customizable for people mm-hmm. right for when they get, get this book I hope so <laughs> yes. I hope so that was definitely the goal I tried really hard I mean it can be hard to like put down because a lot of like what's in our heads after uh, you know years of learning something sometimes can be hard to articulate or hard to organize but I really wanted to get out like exactly like you said so that this could be just extremely useful to people and I also tried to make like Zach you mentioned like you could hear my voice in there or something like I really tried to write it in a way that people would actually want to read it like that you could yeah. feel like we're like in the kitchen together and I'm like you know giving you my best tips like we're friends because that's how I really I mean I really wanted to feel to feel good that way to feel encouraging and supportive and inspiring following you on Instagram for years as well like flipping through the cookbook I'm like oh these are all the these are the recipes this is is all the stuff that I've seen Anna making on Instagram for years so it genuinely is the food that you it really family. is these really are the meals yeah this is really what we eat so parenting note because i like your parenting tips as well mm-hmm. oh, so thanks. if your kids aren't eating the food if they're like getting picky do you have any mm-hmm. strategies for like do you let them have like just try it or we'll make mm-hmm. something later like do you mm-hmm. if they're not eating the food will you make something for them later or will you just hope that they try a little bit and they can go from there mm-hmm. okay so you know this can 
This can depend on the child. Yes. If there are um, behavioral or developmental issues, th this may not apply. Um, and similarly, sometimes for kids who have particularly alpha personalities where the parents don't really have the alpha, I, I study developmental psychology, so if, like, forgive yes. me if I get a bit jargony here, but sometimes the parents can get a, a bit, um, lose their alpha position with the kids. Like parents and kids, like kids need the parents to be like in, in, a, in a dominant role. You know, that can feel uncomfortable for those of us who value equality and, you know, live in democracies, but really kids do best when they think that the adults are in control, they are the boss, they know what's going on. It needs to be done with warmth and compassion, but that sort of um, authoritative parenting role has been shown time and again through the research to be the role that is associated with the best outcomes for kids. So so all that is to preface the fact that sometimes picky eating issues can be a symptom of a relational issue between the parents and the kids. So if the kid is in the alpha role and the parents are doing the bidding of the kids, the kids might be using food as a way of sort of as a controlling tactic and so if that's what's going on that needs to be addressed parents find your alpha your kids will thank you for it mm. uh, and then when kids are securely attached they may want to emulate you by eating the foods that you're eating by pleasing you by trying new things so you might find that eating issues resolve if you resolve the relationship now, if you've got the good alpha roll down um, and your kids don't have any sort of like textural, behavioral, developmental things going on, then yeah, I would say, you know, that's kind of the, the camp that I am in with my kids. My kids are different have different food preferences or different kinds of eaters one is kind of like me like really loves savory foods loves trying new things um, and the other is like his dad he's like a carb monster yeah. kid eat like healthy foods but just like like waffles all day long like yeah. breakfast lunch and dinner he'd be happy <laughs> um, which is not the, the worst thing in the world but I want him to try new things so and they're both pretty good about trying what's on their plate so our dinner time approach is now first of all I'm not making things that I know are just like not at all like I'm not making a giant kale salad with my kids aren't crazy about quinoa maybe you know, your mileage may vary but for my kids if I make a giant kale salad with quinoa and like a really tart vinaigrette like they're just like that's not fair right yeah, <laughs> it's, not, yeah. it's setting them up <laughs> it's setting them up yeah. so that's not what I mean if I'm going to make something like that it's going to be for lunch or it's going to be a side and they'll just get a small portion of it along with something that's like a little bit more kid friendly because you know kids I think they crave um, those like comfort rich comfort foods because that's what their little growing bodies need so that's fine and they also have very sensitive palates so they're detecting flavors that are you know I've burnt off half my taste buds with hot sauce my, yeah, right. <laughs> my kids aren't in the same boat so I start I start by being fair by providing foods that are, are fair to them and then I everyone tries a little bit of everything one bite you don't have to have any more is, you know, I don't know that that's not necessarily the best approach for everyone, but that's the approach that works for my family. Some people say, you know, some child eating experts say, put it down in front of them and just leave it up to them to decide whether they want to eat. And I think that can be a wonderful approach as well. But for my kids, I, I just say, try one bite. You don't have to have any more. They try one bite because, it, you know, because, and it's not creating a huge complex for them. It's not a big problem for them. If they really were like, no, it's disgusting. You know, I wouldn't force the issue, but that's sort of like the expectation in our, in our family. I actually say there, we have two rules at the dinner, the dinner table. One is you have to try it, but you don't have to like it. And the other is, and you have to have good manners.
so you can't you can't it can't be like ew i hate this this is gross you know that's not acceptable that's not polite but you can just say i'm not into it mom no thanks okay you know that's fine but you got to have some diplomacy and some compassion for the person who just spent half an hour making you dinner (laughs) that's right that's right um and then i just yeah i i mean i have options available so typically this works for us so there's always going to be something that they can fill up on sometimes for my little car monster he's not crazy about beans right now which is frustrating because he used to like devour chickpea curry and beans he's he's in a phase right now that's been going on a few years so i'm really hoping it passes soon um but if we're having you know he might just like have a meal full of potatoes Mm -hmm. and i try and you know i don't worry about it because i know he's going to make up for it at other meals Um, and then two other things that i do around the dinner time are that before dinner the only snacking is veggies or fruit sometimes but fruit can be more calorie dense so typically it's like from four o'clock onwards if you want a snack it can be peppers carrots celery cucumber apple that kind of thing and then after dinner there is a one hour moratorium on snacks <laughs> which is not much right so no, you eat yeah. what's what's available for dinner uh you can whatever eat however much you want and eat it if you don't, you don't have to eat it if you don't like it um but then for for an hour after dinner you can't you know 15 minutes after you i'm full clear your plate 15 minutes later you can't be looking for cereal or toast yes or whatever so but, but an hour later you can you can because you know kids it's like if they something they love they'll scarf it if oh, it's yeah. something they'll tolerate it's like they're eating yeah. it and it's like like they're really you're full like are you you know and i you know, okay all right so no snacking for an hour yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good one we need that one we need that one in our house here because sometimes that's the thing is like oh i'm full and it's like okay it yeah. could be, and then it is, it's like 15 minutes later. Can I have a snack? Yeah. I was like, oh, you weren't full. Oh. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. yeah. Just the, the one hour, yeah. no snack. Like yeah. We're getting all these nice, like Desiree Nielsen was on previously, and she mm. shared yeah. some good tips as well. And oh, cool. I, I fall into the trap sometime of like two more bites, and you can mm-hmm. have dessert or whatever. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. it's like creating a hierarchy of like dessert being better than yeah. the main yeah. food, or creating like a sense of like food scarcity if I'm like, yeah. you know, two more bites and then like uh, you can have something else or have yeah. what you want yeah. so I try to catch myself and you know not create unhealthy habits around yeah. kids relationships to food for sure I mean it can be hard and so I, I think like as with everything like you have to know your kids mm-hmm. and like all the expert advice in the world is is not gonna trump your knowledge of your child and what works for yeah. them and you know sometimes there is a case where your kids are just they just do need to be just sit there and have a few more bites and then yeah. you know that sometimes there's a role for that so i wouldn't say i mean again this is just my opinion you should definitely not listen to me at all. <laughs> this is this is kind of my approach is i think yeah. intuition sometimes really trumps you know intuition and your own knowledge you, you, yeah. we all have to be the experts yeah of course so we know our kids right you know our kids so yeah. what works around one table might not work around another what for works sure. with one of your kids might not work with the other because somehow they turn out differently yeah like what <laughs> what did we do wrong yeah 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 the first one's yeah. always an experiment right yeah. so second yeah. one should be should be figured out right yeah. oh man all yeah. the healthy habits by number two yeah and yeah. we have i say i always say to my kids like sometimes they'll say i'm hungry and this is another thing i think parents need to remember is like when kids say they're hungry it's not an emergency it's a preference, right? And I think sometimes as parents, we're like, you're hungry? Oh, here's a granola bar. You know, we're like, we freak out because we're like, oh, you're gonna, it's going to stunt your growth if you don't eat immediately right now this second. And I, 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 I'm, I'm saying that like at myself too. Like I yes. fully get it because it's like my brain wants to do that too. I, th- I think it must be hardwired into us to just like 
you know, be providing food to our little ones that we want to protect and we want to grow. But, um, yeah, I would say just like, try not to fall into that trap. If they're hungry, that's a good thing. So I'll say to my kids, hunger is the best seasoning. Not my phrase. I mean, I, I lifted that phrase from somewhere. I don't know. It's like a saying somewhere, but, um, hunger is the best seasoning. When you are hungry, food will taste better. So I try not to panic about that hunger. Like if it's three o'clock, and they're hungry and they're like, oh, I want, you know, it's something hearty because they're really hungry. I'm like, oh man, your dinner's going to taste so good then in yeah. like a couple of hours, you I know? And then they'll scarf it. And then it'll, and then the added bonus is that because it does taste better than because they are so hungry they're more likely to have a positive perception of it next time. So they're going to be like, oh, yeah, that was really good last time. Mm-hmm. And, 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 then, and then because they ate a lot of this, you know, meal that contained cabbage, whatever it, it contained, then their bodies are going to start to learn, like, that thing is providing me with the nutrients that I need. You know, I don't know. Like, again, don't listen to me. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so so, so don't, don't panic when little Johnny says, Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. hungry. He yeah. is not the boss of you. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> stay yes, the alpha. Yes, don't pa- right? Stay the alpha. Don't panic. They, they will eat later. I mean, I think about sometimes I remind myself of other parts of the world and other times mm. in history where people were eating one meal a day or maybe sort of two meals a day, like one big meal and then one like snacky type meal. And people just got good and hungry. And then mm-hmm. if cabbage soup was all that was available because that was all that, you know, the family could afford or all that was available in that season, you better believe the kids were scarfing it because yeah. they were hungry because it was available. So, you know, I think when we have a culture of eating six meals a day for our kids, it's like, well, of course they don't want to eat a salad for dinner. <laughs> like yeah. why? Just, yeah. You just had a granola bar and you can just hold out for like cereal later. And totally. Like, yeah. Well, and those high, like high sugar, and high even the like the whatever the brand is made goods and it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. little granola bars that have like vegetables and stuff in them right and it's, it's quite good but you eat them and it's like it's, it's a sugary yeah it's yeah. a sugary taste it sure it's agave yeah. and not just like refined white sugar yeah. so it's better more or less the same thing it's but like it's slightly like, better but still. yeah it's still yeah. just sugar right yeah. and so they have those or they have like the salty crackers and they start to crave those things more and it's the easy go-to thing right mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. wait and then eat a good meal mm-hmm. but that's where again like we can kind of like give them that teaching and mm-hmm. yeah it's... well we have to do that for them right because kids are so of the moment they're little buddhas so they're not thinking about their health in the future they're not thinking they're thinking right now i'm hungry and i want a granola bar or whatever right they're they want the thing that they want and they want it now and yeah. so our job as their parents is to provide them with you know is to to do what's best for them is to make sure that they are getting what they need and not what they necessarily want uh, and that with food, that's going to look like sometimes having to be a bit of a bad guy, but knowing that we have their best interests at heart and that we're trying to help teach them the healthy eating habits until they get old enough, which is, you know, it's not forever. Like, but by the time they're in their teens, they'll be interested, starting to hopefully <laughs> gain an interest in their own health and they'll be more, they'll eat vegetables because they're healthy and not just because the mom told them to or whatever. <laughs> like, it's not going to be, they're going to, it's going to shift like it does for all of us. Like, I, I laugh because like so many of the, kale salad munching friends I have are like I was the pick Erin we talked about our friend Erin Ireland earlier like she was a picky eater she said she ate like Alfredo like most meals (laughs) or something just like the same boring meals time in and time out and now she's just like I mean, she's known for her adventurous eating yeah. eating habits. So, so we can evolve and change. And we, I mean, we evolve and change, and our kids are going to get there, and they just yeah. need us in in this time to help to help bridge that gap. But also, yeah. you know, not to freak out because eventually they're going to get there, and they're going to have an interest in their own nutrition. Yeah. So okay, raising vegan children. There's a set of values, ethics, and veganism. 
how do you distill that in your children and how do they kind of project that onto their relationships in the world? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my kids have been vegan since they were born. So it's all they know. Yes. I think that in a lot of ways that makes it easier for me because I think and sometimes people are they have families already and they might be trying to transition. They might struggle with getting their kids on board or suddenly sort of like shifting the values on them, which I think can be can be a struggle and takes a lot more sensitivity and nuance. But for our family, the hard the hardest thing was not teaching vegan values because those come very naturally. Like it's we very, should be nice to very, animals. Like any questions, <laughs> like they're just like, of course. Um you know, for but for them, it's more the struggle has more been trying to communicate to them in a kid friendly way. Why do other people eat animals? Because for them, it's baffling. Like animals, mm. they eat them. Like, mm. are you sure? Like, it's yeah. confusing. Um, so it's been just more trying to communicate to them in a nuanced way. Like, you know, people are at different points in their learnings and in their life. They have, people have different priorities. Um, and also we don't want to villainize people because Mm -hmm. everybody has some good in them and they might be focusing on other things right now, other good things. Um, and, and also that good people do bad things, right? That, and that's true for all of us. Like all of us are, um, are doing things in certain areas of our lives that are imperfect, that we're working on. I mean, that's why we're humans on this planet, right? Like if we were already fully enlightened, we wouldn't be here living this life, trying to grow. So I think we have to have a sense of humility when it comes to veganism and how it fits into our bigger life of being a good decent person and it's important to teach that to kids and they're not going to get all of that right away it might take some repetition uh you know like all good lessons with kids of course it takes repetition they need to hear the same messages multiple times and in different ways until they stick but they absorb from us the language that we use and the attitudes that we have and so i think if we first clean clean house with our own attitudes Mm -hmm. of making sure that we don't get um to like sanctimonious with our vegan values and that we're making sure to communicate in a in a loving way in a loving Mm -hmm. and considerate way um to accept people with where they're at without i don't have to accept what's happening to animals in order to accept who people are as human beings and to find common ground so i those are those are really important values to me and it's important to my kids that they are being um that they're leading by example and being a good vegan example doesn't just mean eating tofu, right? Mm-hmm. It means being kind. But fundamentally, that's what it means. It means being a kind, considerate person and putting your values into action. I love that. One, a few things that I've, I've heard you talk on, um, one is the, the core value of being kind and using that as a, as a pillar, as a filter for how you approach you know, everything in life. Mm-hmm. And the other part was, which I think a lot of vegans can kind of fall into this trap if you're being a jerk you're wrong oh 100 percent. yeah yeah i've been being that drunk for (laughs) many years yeah i mean i think that um yeah because fundamentally that's what underpins it right we're not vegan because we like eating plants or because we think meat is gross right like we're vegan because we believe in in compassion and kindness like it really comes down to kindness and I think that if we're communicating in our values in a way that is accusatory, blamey, unkind, then 
we we are wrong we are in the wrong that is an incorrect way to communicate with people always it's going to happen we're going to slip into it sometimes we have bad days we have frustrating moments we can be reactive we say things we regret um but it has to be the practice the practice has to be to find that higher self within us which we all have mm-hmm. we all have access to it it's a secret compartment yeah. <laughs> in everyone's minds um and to speak from that loving place yeah that's, mm-hmm. that's cool I remember when I was new to veganism, I was, you know, very preachy and mm-hmm. entitled in my views. And I think it it takes time to realize that that message will never convince anyone to change their yeah. habits. Yeah. I was like that, too. I think um, I felt that. Well, first of all, I felt like I was like, I am right. Yes. <laughs> I am right. And arguing from a place of. I am right and you are wrong is never a winning communication strategy. Uh, it just it just does not work. So if you so just like ethics aside, it just doesn't work. So yeah. drop it. Um, but also, <laughs> just but stop it's hard. It's hard when people are like, but I'm right. It's very very right? hard. It's it's a practice for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. But you know, you strengthen and strengthen and strengthen it, and then it becomes habit. I also think that for for people who are newly vegan, sometimes and for me this was the case. I learned about what was happening to animals, and I was like. Like, for me, it was traumatizing, and I use that word in the literal sense. Um, I thought, if people only know what's happening to animals, they will... Make the same decision. Make the same decision I did. Yeah. Like, I thought, I, I was like, of course. I just thought, oh, this is just a matter of getting the word out there. Yeah, right. Um, so I was really surprised and, and truly heartbroken to find out that that wasn't the case. Yeah. And so I think, for me, a lot of my, like... Um, yeah, like preachiness. Yeah. Like it came from that place of just like, did you not hear me? Yeah. Like I said, animal farming is cruel. Like, yeah. So I, I just, I felt like it was a problem with like, you know, it's surely, are you deaf? Like what is happening? Yeah. But you know, that's not the case. People are, people will hear the message when they are ready to hear the message. And I think that the best thing we can do really, the most effective and also just um, the most loving thing to do is to be the message, to be a shining light of, of a happy, healthy vegan. Yeah. And, and people will see that. I think people recognize um, these sort of like wise truths, like on a soul level, people recognize them in other people. And if you are living it, so a part of them will acknowledge like, mm-hmm, that makes sense. That resonates with me. I get that. And we don't need to say anything. We don't need to argue with them. We just need to live our truth, speak our truth, be authentic, and do our thing. And, and that's, that's a message enough. Mm-hmm. It's, it's liberating, too, because it means that you don't need to, like, convert every single person one by one. Yeah. I'm sure as a lawyer, too, you're used to, like... Matt, I can argue. Like, yeah. I can win an argument. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's throw almost, like, I'm learning your, yeah. your... So I'm just like, I could win this argument, but I'm not going to. Yes. yes. <laughs> but if you walk away, like you say, as a living example of being that shining light versus proving your point, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. person that you leave the conversation with is going to be more likely to be like, oh, like mm-hmm. Anna's awesome mm-hmm. and she's vegan. And she's vegan. Yeah. Versus yeah. like, oh, she was like kind of mean to me. Boy, she really showed me that I am a moron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, what? yeah. Because that's that arguing never does it. Now, there is a time and a place for a respectful debate, of yeah. course. Yes. But like those times and places, I must say, are very few. Few and far between. Like yeah. for the most part, healthy communication is what we're doing, you know, 98% of the time. And that doesn't involve showing how you're right and making others wrong as much as our egos love that. Yeah. It involves understanding people, listening mm-hmm. to people, identifying ways that they might, might want to change 
change and encouraging that change in a loving way. That is, is yeah. not winning an argument. Well, it's interesting, apart from, apart from people, again, generalization, but in North America, mm-hmm. like until kind of some of our kids' generation came along, there's not people who, there's not very many people who can say, oh yeah, I've been vegan my whole mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. In other cultures, in other spaces, for sure. Mm-hmm. But in the North American context where we're situated and where a lot of the the preaching can come from, mm-hmm. it's funny to me how many people, you know, a, a friend once said, it's like, oh yeah, it seems like a symptom of veganism is like you forget that at one point you, you weren't, weren't vegan. vegan. Yeah. And like that's such a good kind of rebuttal because you have this great tool mm-hmm. of saying, hey, yeah, like I can come alongside because I know, mm-hmm. I know the bacon tastes good. Mm-hmm. And I know that this, because I was there with you, but I like- I have said the words, I could never give up cheese. They have come out of my mouth. Yeah, oh, right, for <laughs> sure, right? And I think that I think that when we, f- I mean, this goes beyond v- just veganism, but when we can find the commonalities mm-hmm. between people rather than say, here's where you're wrong, even if it's justified, right? If we can find the place of commonalities and say, hey, here's where I, I agree with you, I line up, I understand where you're coming from, I can see it from your point of view. However, this is why I'm choosing somewhere else. And it's more of like truly an educational rather than like a preaching. Mm-hmm. There's so many tools, resources, documentaries, books, whatever, Instagram mm-hmm. accounts that you can, people can look at. The information is there. It's there. Yeah. It's just having someone to help guide them along and not, if you preach to someone, you're giving them the opportunity to just shut it down even further, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and from a cognitive point of view, they're also going to be doubling down on it. Like when we have people, when we put people in the defensive and have them defending their viewpoints, they will, those viewpoints will become even more entrenched for them. So arguing with people is a really good way of making sure they'll never go vegan. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. So good. I think this is, well, obviously we're talking about veganism and food, but I think this is like a macro lesson for for life mm. yeah, you know yes, like yeah. there's so much uh, yeah. division going on in yeah. the world right now in so many areas in so many mm-hmm. areas yeah. and if we just find the commonalities like yeah. Dean was talking about and yeah. and don't act like a jerk yeah. and don't pick fights you yeah. know we'll find that we all want love we all want yes. shelter we all want community we yeah. all want to be healthy and yeah. that when people feel understood and accepted, yes. ironically, that's when you'll see them coming along to, to, yeah. to the change that you might yeah. be tr- pushing for. Oh, yeah. And you can, you can lead people to it. But ultimately, like, there's way more value in someone discovering something for themselves. Because mm-hmm. then there's ownership over it, right? Yes, like, I, exactly. I once heard an example where it's like, you know, if you were to do an Easter egg hunt with kids... And you kind of hid the eggs around and then just told the kids like, there's one under the blanket. Yeah, yeah. There's one over there by the plant. <laughs> yeah. There's one in the you know bathroom under the cupboard. They'd be like, cool. And they yeah. would go collect the eggs because they're kids, right? That's like chocolate or whatever candies you've hidden around. They would go get it. Mm-hmm. But it's way more fun to do like the, well, you're getting warmer. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. maybe check over by the living room. Like, mm-hmm. And they have to go and find And they find it themselves. And you may have led them there, but there's this sense of like they found it themselves and it's way more exciting and way more valuable in that kind of silly, you know, metaphor or whatever. But then same goes, if you can help people step by step discover something on their own, Mm -hmm. there's way more value in it. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, I arrived here. Mm -hmm. Thanks for helping guide me, but I arrived here on my own. It wasn't because, you know, you told me about this documentary or said, you know, there's some vegan cheeses that are pretty good. Like it's a good, exact good. So I think it's just helping, helping people along the way and not being like that overbearing, presence it's really going to make them double down yeah. on their 
opinion already, right? I could not agree more. I think it's so important to be an agent of empowerment rather than an agent of control. Mm. We want people to feel that they are making these decisions. And when they make those decisions, they will be their choices that they feel excited and inspired by and not... I'm doing it because I feel like I have to because so-and-so makes me. It's not going to stick. Yeah. Guilt and shame, however mm-hmm. however effective they may be in the short, in the short term, term. Yeah. <laughs> never, never last. Yeah. And no, like it does way more damage to us, mm-hmm. right? Nobody loves feeling that. And we may act a certain way for, for the moment, but it doesn't lead to long-lasting, actual, meaningful change in our lives. Totally. Yeah. Cool. I'm with you. Look at how many problems we're solving yeah. right here. <laughs> World <laughs> peace next, people. Yes, let's take it <laughs> on. Let's, let's go, go, team. Let's get it. We got time. We got time. Let's get it in. <laughs> well, what, one thing I did want to talk to you about, and we've jammed on this a bit in the past, uh, I think it is one of the, the conversations that's missing in veganism is the inherent spirituality of mm-hmm. choosing to be vegan. Can you Can you talk on that, and we'll kind of just like see where that leads us to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I didn't go vegan for spiritual reasons. Yes. But because for me, veganism came before like an awakened sense of spirituality. Although I think I've always, I mean, we're all walking around living spiritual lives, right? You can't yes. not be. <laughs> it's just Everything. part of being human. Everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. But I was essentially like a, I guess you could say atheist or non-religious person until I was 34. Five years ago, I had like an awakening. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like shock, shock. But I mean, I, I, I think more about this. All, the, all the pieces were there for me, but I just like my sense of religion was like the form of religion that I continue to not believe in, yeah. which is like the idea of like, um, you know, like a fairy tale God who's passing out judgments and heaven is a place to go if you deserve to go there, like all that stuff. I thought I was like, oh, okay. Like religion is sort of like a psychological, like security blanket for adults, but it's, but it's kind of like believing in Santa Claus, you know, yeah. like that was kind of what I thought. And yeah. I wasn't, I was like non-theistic. I wouldn't even say atheist. I was just like, I didn't give it a second thought, yeah. but I will say like looking back, I did live a very spiritual life because a lot of my decisions, and like we said, like you can't not, a lot of my decisions and how I live my life, I mean, I meditated and I practiced yoga and I was vegan for reasons of my values. I mean, these are all very like spiritual sort of practices and ways to live. But it wasn't until I, I had like an awakening moment when I was like, oh. Can you share this moment? Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't like any, it, it actually wasn't a super profound moment. Yeah. It was more like, so I was reading the Eckhart Tolle book, The Power of Now, yeah. which is just Amazing. an incredible yeah. book. I've, I've reread it multiple times. I've, I've actually read all of his books multiple times. And he just, he's such a skilled communicator. And he was talking about his own sort of spiritual awakening. And he was just explaining it in such a reasonable way. He's so articulate. He's so smart. And he was talking about what had initially to me been concepts that I wouldn't have even like had my attention on. And he just was making so much sense. And I was like, holy crap, I have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And then I just became like voracious about it. Um, And I talked to my husband about it and he had grown up going to a Unitarian church. And he was like, yeah, I've always kind of thought like, 
you know, there's something, whatever. Like he had always mm-hmm. kind of, and I was like, oh, you did? Like, why didn't you tell me? We've been married for, so we're yeah. like best friends. We've been married for so long. And he, it had just like never really come up. Like it wasn't yeah. something we talked about and our lives were meaningful. And we were living these spiritual lives anyway. So it didn't become, but I became, I mean, obsessed, like reading everything I could read and just like learning like, holy smokes, there's like all of these people out there who are sharing this kind of like spiritual truths that have been my truths that I've just like stumbling along bumbling into but it makes so much sense because even when I was studying yoga and meditation I mean this is the yoga sutras like mm-hmm. I read the yoga sutras yeah. I read Tao Te Ching like years before I had my own spiritual awakening I was like yeah this is so wise like I was like getting it but it was like I mean on a, on a certain level like I wasn't obviously fully getting it but mm. I just realized like every single spiritual tradition, including Christianity at its at its fundamental core, like what Jesus was actually saying in the Gospels, like they're all saying the same truths, whether it's from India or the Middle East, Jesus, like or China, like they're all basically saying these truths about like we are all one, like God is energy. We all create we, we are we are here like as a creative you know, force and we're experiencing this material reality because it's fun, because we're trying to grow, because we have this sort of like spiritual amnesia so that we can be along for an adventure. Like, I mean, it just, I was like, holy smokes, like every single religion at its core, it has been saying these same things. These, I'm talking of course about like the mystical elements of religions and not the, the dogmatic factions that have, that are what, what a lot of people, myself included, it was like all I knew was all I had heard of. Mm Um, but there is actually like a very wise mystical thread that runs throughout every religion, Judaism, Islam, like they all have this mystical core and they're all saying the same thing. Yeah. Amazing. So, and what does that have to do with veganism? Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know we've talked about like Himza's and, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and part of the yoga scriptures is like, do no like uh it's like cruelty do no pass no cruelty on mm-hmm. i'm gonna i'm totally butchering it yeah. but like it's like <laughs> paraphrasing yeah be kind to, to animals yeah. be kind to all be, like living beings basically yeah yeah i mean there's no like clear mandate in any sort of like historical scriptural text that says go vegan right but yeah. we're also talking about different historical times and these are just like broad principles that right. we need to apply in our modern environment um and definitely like one of the threads that runs throughout all of these great traditions is gentleness kindness right. of mm-hmm. living of living a life grounded in being kind and um in living your values i mean all of the wonderful things that we've already talked about which are actually stolen spiritual concepts right Right, right. we are not we are not the first people to come up with this and i think veganism can be a really powerful way of living these these truths these principles especially in an environment where we do have that choice right Mm -hmm. like we're talking about we all live in the lower mainland in the year 2021 um food is plentiful and uh, cheap and we can afford to Mm -hmm. make these choices and so then the question is all right well what choices are you going to make um yeah and i think i think that's an important point too yeah Mm -hmm. yeah because we're not talking about you know there's lots of parts of the world where this is not going to apply so this is not like a blanket spiritual principle that in order to be a spiritual person you have to be vegan that's definitely not true um but it it, for me it's true in my my environment Mm -hmm. in a situation it definitely makes me feel um, like more, more connected to mm-hmm. my higher self, um, more in alignment with my truth, with my values. And, and it just feels good. Like mm-hmm. it feels sure. good to be living in a way when you are like at one and at peace with your own behaviors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, thinking energetically, like the animals, we're spiritual beings having, transferring energy. You know, if someone's in a bad mood, you feel it. If someone's in a good mood, you feel it. Mm -hmm. Um, And these animals, like before preparing for slaughter, they're experiencing fear and stress and anxiety and Mm -hmm. all sorts of negative, terrible emotions. And to think that energy just stops when they're, you know, reach the slaughter point. Mm Um, you know, I, th- I think we're taking on the energy of the foods that we consume as well mm-hmm. on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. So when you can't, I, I feel light energetically when I have something that, um, you know, I, I'm, we've talked on this in the past that there is a level of cruelty to most foods, whether it's mm-hmm. vegan or not, you know, through human experience or, or, or whatnot. But mm-hmm. I feel lighter when I'm having something that didn't come at the expense of an animal's life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and even something gro- like even from plant-based foods like something grown in a holistic ecosystem prepared by somebody who's really connected to farming and not like a migrant worker who's planting like a monocrop like mm-hmm. even that's going to have a different energetic quality to the extent that we believe i mean it's getting pretty woo-woo here but yeah, like here we go. Here i believe it but like i mean to, to the extent that like energy this is, i didn't come up with this scientists came up with this one that yeah. energy doesn't it just changes forms you right? can't it can't be destroyed it can't be created or destroyed That's right. it can only change forms and so there you know it's got to go somewhere and i think that there is something to that idea like you said like we're not talking about like there's different ways as well of eating animals like there is indigenous hunters will talk about how they see the animal and then like you know true like Mm -hmm. right like this is a different way they see the animal they sort of like connect with the animal they ask them can i take your your life to save my own life Mm -hmm. and the life of my community and then the animal gives their permission i think that's a very holistic and spiritual way of looking at it now again we're talking about subsistence hunting in in a situation where this is required and there's like a you know it's this is different than me living in vancouver right (laughs) in east van off commercial drive yeah so but and then that's very different from far, animal farming intensive agriculture, which mm-hmm. is just negativity from birth to death. I mean, at the slaughterhouse, like this is a slaughterhouse does not have vibes of like yes. connection. And, no. you know, there's, there's not no, much honor. Or, there's, not, yeah. there's no, no good. There's and even good. in, even in like coming back to more structured religious forms where, you know, eating meat is part of it, whether it's ceremonial or whether it's just, you know, oh, we're from this tradition or this belief system and we do eat meat. There are ways in which, right, like halal, for example, mm-hmm. meat is like supposed to be uh, raised, cared for and slaughtered in a very specific way mm-hmm. because it's supposed to be more honoring to the animal. Mm-hmm. Now, at the end of the day, you could say, okay, it's still, you're taking the life to like feed people when it's not necessarily mm-hmm. needed in this immediate context right here where we're speaking mm-hmm. from. But there is a difference mm-hmm. than just like, oh, th- this isn't just meat that's like we got from the grocery store or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's trying, I think I think people are trying to make a dis- dis- distinction and mm-hmm. recognize like in, like in an indigenous practice, there's value here. We're connected to the animal, which is connected to the land, which mm-hmm. is we need this for survival and for our community. So there are different ways of understanding it. But I think when it comes back to it as like modern people where we have lots of availability to us, around us for food that isn't that, 
and you're on a spiritual path that's saying, okay, I'm looking, right? It comes back to the values and, and aligning our values and our actions. Like one of my values is to, to limit the harm that I'm doing in the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, well, here's a big way that I could limit the harm that I'm doing in the world. And, mm-hmm. and it gets us further down on our spiritual journey. Not that we're looking around comparing ourselves to mm-hmm. others, mm-hmm. but just simply where we've come from. Mm-hmm. I'm further down than I was before, mm-hmm. further down the road, further down the journey. And I think that's so important, right? Not just looking and being like, well, I'm better than that person. Yeah, Because no. then now all of a sudden you're not. Yeah. <laughs> because that is decidedly not spiritual. Right? Spiritual spoiler alert. I'm winning the spirituality competition. Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. all Anna's points. Yeah. But I just love, I, I love that. And, and even as you're talking, like I, I'm in the tradition of Christianity, but maybe not in the like I, I'm with you, like the, the, the dogmatic stuff. I'm like, no, that's, that's, that's not, not right. that's not the point. That's not the thing. Yeah. And like Jesus has this great line where he says, blessed are the meek, mm-hmm. which like nobody strives to be meek. Mm-hmm. Right. And so again, just like in all the ways that he always does, he turns it on its head. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. not the, it's not the conquerors. It's not the people who are going out and, you know, the, the big, like strong, whatever people it's like, whatever image conjures up when we hear the word the meek it's like those are the people that will inherit the earth i'm like well those are the caregivers like tending to the garden and doing this stuff and so that's like the anti you know get on top of the pyramid kind of thing it's like how do you do it from the ground up right yeah 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 and my understanding of that beautiful line is that meek like in translation because it's like translation in thousands of years oh, or yes. something, <laughs> but is that meek was really intended to be almost more like humility mm-hmm. like there's this a humbleness and i think that really speaks to it because it's like yeah if you're like operating from ego and from superiority you're gonna miss the message you're gonna miss the point yeah. even if you're going through the motions and doing all the right things like you've got to be coming at it from this point of humility yeah People never go through their motions, right? <laughs> uh, of religious what are you stuff. No, about? it's always one hundred percent genuine. Yeah, it's so interesting because that's one of the things that, for again, in my journey, I've talked about it before. But like the spiritual element mm-hmm. of moving into like a plant-based position was aligning values mm-hmm. that I've had for years and years and years, and then recognizing the way I was eating didn't align, and then uncovering that maybe like the created order, the design of humanity was like to not eat animals. Mm -hmm. Like this is a Mm -hmm. plan that you can see in the, in the pages of Genesis, however literally Mm -hmm. we take it or not, Mm -hmm. but that like animals are never set out as food. Mm -hmm. They're just not Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. you know, people can, it's, it's a, it's a fabrication. It's a story. It's a myth. However we approach it, like you can read it in those early stages and say, okay, this, this creation was designed and plants were the food and animals Mm -hmm. were not. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. There's something deeply spiritual about respecting our place in creation as caregivers, yeah. not as like overlords, where it's like no, ours to like yeah. rule and take. Dark and, over- overlords. Yeah, totally, right? Yeah, yeah no, I, I exactly. And I think we also need to be like Jesus was a real person who, you know, had a very thin veil between him and other dimension realities or the ultimate reality, let's say. And so we have to take that into context. Like he was walking around in a very different situation 2000 years ago where the world didn't have an enormous population. Climate change was an oppressing concern, you know, back then. And so I have to think like if he were walking around today, like what would be, what would he be talking about? Like, totally. how, what, what would his message be? Totally. Um, and I'm sure he'd have a lot to say about how we're treating the planet, how we're treating other animals, because it's all one. 
one and he would say i'm sure he would say how you treat animals and how you treat the planet is how is you, how you're treating yourself totally. because it's all one thing i mean that's what he said i and the father are one right like unity, it's all one thing unity to the core yeah. yeah unity and diversity right we're yeah. all part of it which yeah. is which is so beautiful and it comes back to the point you made like that's 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 an indigenous understanding of yeah. our worldview right we're not separate from we're part of we're dependent on right and all of the science is catching up and saying oh yeah it's like these ancient wisdoms they were actually right all along and yeah. you know here's how we know this now because of electrodes and studies and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. No, but just science, this is just like science intuitive. is proving what we know <laughs> yes right yeah. but if that's what it takes for people to make the switch then i'm all for it yeah right but it's no, like, i mean it's, evidence is good i like evidence yeah <laughs> i'm yeah. definitely evidence-based all this stuff that i'm talking about which you know you, you really need like hours to talk about it on the spirituality side like this is like backed up by evidence mm -hmm. i mean you can really prove th this through studies through near-death experience studies through through just even looking at what different traditions have independently come to i mean there's lots of different ways that you can look at this from an evidence-based point of view but again it's really just reflecting like what you said i mean we, it's funny because we ha we look sometimes at indigenous cultures as being primitive, mm. but actually, I think what we're failing to see is that no, I mean they're they're in a state of meditation and unity essentially, right? We call it meditation, call it whatever you want, but they're they're in the state of unity of oneness where they are way ahead of the game when it comes to recognizing and living truth, truth capital T truth. And to have this harmonious relationship with the ecosystem, like that's the wisdom that mm -hmm. we all need to learn. There's oh, nothing yeah. primitive about it. This is ultimate wisdom. It's so, so good. I just uh, talking with, the, I do some teaching and I was, we're because of the Truth and Reconciliation mm -hmm. Week. And so I was talking to our science class and just saying like, there's something called traditional ecological knowledge. Mm -hmm. But I was like, but the more accurate name for it is like indigenous science mm -hmm. because it's science. Mm -hmm. And what we would consider like a conventional scientist is coming along and verifying all this stuff that indigenous people have been like, yeah, mm -hmm. we've known that. We've known that for, for centuries, millennia, yeah. Millennia, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And it's like now that science is coming along and, you know, these, what we would say scientists are proving it and they've yeah. come up with, oh, this is traditional, you know, indigenous knowledge or whatever, ecological mm -hmm. wisdom. I'm like, it's science. It's science like, let's yeah. just name it. Let's yeah. call it what it is. Let's honor like the wisdom that has been here for generations and generations. And yeah. I mean, it comes back to how we use land, how we care for resources and all this stuff that's like so important now to people. It's like, it's always been so important. Mm -hmm. And what mm -hmm. we do to the earth, we do to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And so totally. that's where. In ways that I think are more profound than we even really understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is, we're at a moment in time right now where there's a really big divide between science and spirituality. It's like you kind of have to like pick a team. Right. But I refuse. I love both. Yes. I love science. Yes. I need evidence. Evidence is how I, is how I, I don't have faith. I don't have belief. I have evidence. I yeah. pursue knowledge. Um, and that's how I can live in faith. And, but I think that, you know, I think in, within context, like there needed to be a division between spirituality and science because spirituality was becoming religious dogmatism yes. and science needed to come along and start to sort of chip away at that paradigm. And that was how, and then, so then it was like, all right, then you kind of had to pick a team. Were you going to be 
dogmatic or were you going to pursue actual knowledge, right? Yep. So that made sense for a while. It needed to kind of unfold that way. But I think now we're arriving at a point where it's like, okay, now we need to integrate these things mm-hmm. because there's some wacky spiritual beliefs and traditions out there too. We don't just need to accept anything anyone says because they say it's my spiritual truth. No, that's not how truth works. <laughs> there is still a scientific method. I mean, science is just a method, right? It's yes. how we it's how we figure out knowledge. It's how mm-hmm. we figure out truth. And that can be applied to spiritual concepts as well. So the two are really are not all that different. Um, and, you know, and science can stand to have like a little bit more like spirituality, spirituality as well. I mean, ironically, what I really see with the world of science now that I look, look on it and having been sort of like of that mindset myself as well is like, talk about dogmatism. I mean, <laughs> taking sort of like refusing to consider any elements of like spiritual truth and wisdom because it's not scientific. Well, that's not science. That's dogma. You have to have an open mind. You have to consider. You have to be willing to look at evidence. And you have to be willing to revise your own beliefs in the face of contrary evidence. Mm. And I think anyone who looks at it with an open mind and with a certain like honesty uh, is going to find that actually there is real synergy here and real coherence. And I think that's where we're going. Like, you know, we're at this moment in time where there's separation. I think it's coming back together. I think in a century, it's going to be like, of course, of course, (laughs) these two things are like uh, a happy marriage. (laughs) Well, I think like one of the gateways to that is like the, the ongoing studying and learning around like the quantum Mm -hmm. level of like quantum physics. Mm -hmm. Like when I look at that, I'm like, it is so mind blowing mm-hmm. and it's so mystical. Mm-hmm. It's so mystical. That like yeah. I see that that's that's where the two like in a in a I mean it's problematic, but in a progressive, like not stuck and and dogmatic religious expression, but in a more like open and curious and mystical spiritual expression and science are gonna converge mm-hmm. in a way that like I, I hope that it happens while I'm alive to see it, because mm-hmm. it's just when I hear people riff on quantum physics, I'm like, I don't, I don't fully understand what's happening here, but I know that it's incredible. Like, yeah. what do you mean matter can exist in all possibilities? And then when yes. it's observed, it behaves differently. Yeah. Like, what? And, like, and, it's just... and like the double slit experiment, like it can decide, like it can decide retroactively what form to take. Like yes. it's like bending the rules of time as we know them. Which is of course, of course. Yeah. It's outside I mean, it makes sense, of our right? structures. Because, because if everything is the now and time and space are like an earthly, you know, every every spiritual tradition says this, it makes total sense. I think it was Max Planck, like Nobel winning physicist who said something, he has a great quote, something along the lines of like, nobody can study this stuff and not become deeply spiritual. Yes, <laughs> right? right? Which because, is so cool. Yeah, which is so cool. And yeah, I mean, that was very, very like convincing for me. I was yeah. like, oh, he's got a point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and I think we're going to increasingly go there because as we're developing this knowledge and it becomes increasingly hard to explain the knowledge that we're acquiring through a materialistic paradigm, we're going to go, we're not getting answers here. I mean, we still don't know. Where does consciousness come from? The, the dominant materialistic viewpoint is the mind produces consciousness. I mean, I know this. I have a psychology degree and nobody knows. Why do we sleep? What are dreams? We don't know. Where does consciousness come from? No clue. There, there exists no part of the brain where consciousness could possibly be generated yes it's where it's like what's at when you understand it from a spiritual point of view okay our brains are like radio receivers and we are receiving this grand consciousness yeah you know that beyond our it's like mind bending but which is so cool too because there was i'm just trying to find i was i was reading an article just the other day about um in like 2016 there was the the revelation where it was like the consciousness of animals and they there was a whole convention about it and like mm-hmm. stephen hawking was part of it and all these scientists said like 
oh yeah, like animals have consciousness. Mm -hmm. And they pointed to all of these, all of these um, examples and experiments and tests and stuff that they did to to show this. Mm -hmm. And it felt like it was like one step short of the next logical thing was like, so if animals have like conscious awareness, like... (laughs) What are yeah. what are we gonna do with that information? Yeah. It's like it's cool. Okay, here's like in some ways like a smoking gun to be like, yeah. they're not just products to be consumed. Yeah, yeah. But like it didn't. It fell short. I have to I have to try and find it because I was yeah. like, it was fascinating that this was happening. And again, it's like one of those. If we take it back to like uh, indigenous science or traditional knowledge, mm-hmm. they've always they've always known that. Yeah, they've always said yes. The the everything our ecosystem has an awareness and yes. a consciousness and. And then it's like, yeah, someone comes along and writes a book about trees talking to each other. Oh my gosh, I was thinking that exact thing. Like, it's not just animals, it's trees, it's everything, right? And this is, again, it's like, wise people from around the world have been saying this for thousands of years, but they're saying everything has consciousness, everything is of the same matter, everything is the creator, is the energy, whatever you want to call it, is this like consciousness manifesting in material form. And I mean, when you hear some of the stuff about trees, like communicating, I mean, it's pretty out there, but this is real science yeah. right? it's really hard to understand and explain through a materialistic paradigm yeah. it becomes a lot easier i mean occam's razor like the simplest explanation is usually the truest explanation or is usually that true explanation but sometimes you have to just go like man this paradigm isn't working and if you shift mm-hmm. a little bit and you look at sort of like a conscious what i would i call not i mean not my term but a consciousness first paradigm okay if it's not materialism what is it it's consciousness first if it's consciousness first suddenly we can understand how the heck are trees talking to each other? Yeah, right. How are they yeah. communicating? And not only that, but like it's it's expression of kindness mm-hmm. and care. So you yeah, have like caring, what, yeah. what they call as like mother trees, mm-hmm. which are often the biggest ones that are going to like absorb the most light through photosynthesis because they've broken through the canopy or whatever. And it's those trees that are connected to a community or network of trees that can receive signals of need. Mm-hmm or lack Mm -hmm. in other trees and send what's needed needed. in order for the health of the whole environment and the whole forest to be sustained and so it's like what a picture in ways that they won't benefit like there's no sort of like it does it's not explained perfectly by evolution because you you know a skeptic is going to go oh well yeah but like it's going to benefit them because it's a reciprocity yeah exactly exactly but but it doesn't always work like in some cases they'll be like warning i I was reading some out there stuff about trees warning other trees and other elements of the forest about fire or something yeah yeah or or like a pest like a a disease kind of like in station like that like holy smokes and how mushrooms communicate the mycelium (laughs) Mycelium. and that's another thing where they don't necessarily have a fully symbiotic relationship it's like why why would they do that for each other yes yes it's like it's they're giving they're caring it's It's, incredible like the lesson is i mean now now we're now we're out there but it's like the lessons (laughs) that we as humans can learn yeah (laughs) Yeah. that was mainstream yeah Yeah. (laughs) but the lessons that we can learn as individuals of like where's my place in the forest what type of tree am i am i in need or am i in a a position to share of abundance and like it's going to benefit me to benefit others, mm-hmm. even if I get nothing back from it. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and again, I mean, it, obviously it's no secret, like Jesus is my guru on this, on this mm-hmm. kind of stuff, but it's mm-hmm. like, it's better to give than receive. Totally. And that's yeah. like what those, that's what nature shows us. Yeah. Right. And so you, you don't have to look to a book or to a person or to a spiritual leader. Like you can look into nature yeah. as uh, evidence of these things. Right. Cause it reflects this, this 
divine energy, this flow, mm-hmm. this chi, however we name it, mm-hmm. God, right? Whatever we want to call her that right, created everything. People, the creator, I think it's a beautiful term for it. Yeah. And that, that we can learn how to be in the world by observing the world. Mm-hmm. And that like kindness and compassion goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And then when we see ourselves as part of it, mm-hmm. it's harder to like destroy it mm-hmm. or exploit it, mm-hmm. ruin it. Yeah, and then, I mean, and we don't need to, then we can get confirming proof from our own experience, right? Like, you, you don't need to take it on faith. You don't need to believe you or me or Zach. It's like, just try it, live live it, live it, this way, and see how you feel. Because mm-hmm. I yeah. guarantee you're going to feel a whole lot happier, more connected, more content, more at ease. Like, your life will get richer and will get better when you start to live some of these principles that we're talking about. Be to live in a caring, giving, grateful, generous way. And, like, again, science is, like, starting to catch up now like ooh, like a gratitude practice actually has been shown to have like these like health benefits but I mean you don't need to like read the science and like study the stats on it just try it try being grateful and see how your life transforms yep. I read that you can't be grateful and angry at the same time I mean, we all need to have a full range of human emotions. Yeah. And being spiritual doesn't mean de- be denying, denying negative emotions. Of course, there's the dark and the light. And there's the dark and the light. And we are human. We are going to have those. Our practice is to be non-reactive about them, mm-hmm. to be honest about them, to be open about them. Like, wow, I, re- I was angry. I was feeling angry. I was feeling frustrated. I said, you know, if, if it we're talking about making amends, I, re- I, I said something I shouldn't have. I regret it. I'm sorry for ha- having hurt you. I mean, this is how we include mm-hmm. the full range of in- even negative emotions or or uh, moments of sadness, of being down. Like, okay, this is, you know, a time to be introspective, to listen. What is this trying to tell me? Is there a message here? And, you know, and if not, like, fine. Like, just this is going to be an off day for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to always just rush to fix it. That's, we don't need that's to our fix. modern mindset. We don't need mindset. to deny. Yeah. We don't need to think it makes us less spiritual or less right. you know, capable, less deserving, less moral. Yeah. The more, in fact, uh, the more whole we are as a person from, from healthy, happy, f- feeling good emotions to the dark, sadness ones, right? Mm-hmm. Within reason, obviously. Yeah. It's not an things, excuse to be an abusive jerk. Yeah, yeah. But within that, as we experience the wholeness of humanity, that is experiencing spirituality. It's, well, that, I mean, that's why we're here, right? It's contrast. If we want it bliss and perfection all the time, we wouldn't be here on earth where yeah. we can experience contrast and which gives us a new appreciation for all that is good and all that is perfect. Right. You got to have the bad to have the good. The good can only Con- be good if we know. Yeah. How. I mean, contrast is really, the, is really why we're here. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I, I like feel that. like that's like a little Buddhist lesson there. From, yeah. You know, Buddha didn't stay in the kingdom. You know, he went and yeah. experienced what the world was seeing through suffering and, yeah. and struggle and all of that. I mean, and I think that often about life is that life is a spiritual practice. I mean, we could all go live in a monastery, in a convent, in some religious setting and um, and meditate all day and eat vegetarian meals and live in peace, with beautiful nature. But the real, and I mean, not to minimize that incredible spiritual life, but mm-hmm, yes. it is a very equally good spiritual practice. It may be even more challenging to go live in the real world, to live in the city, to have your stuff vandalized and stolen to have children and to be frustrated with a toddler who's when you're tired and to you know deal with partners and household problems and interpersonal I mean it's all interpersonal like everything Mm -hmm. 
all the in millions of ways that we have interpersonal frustrations like guys that's the lesson that's the practice that yes. is it yeah get into it get into right? it yeah and then you throw in on top of that like what the hell am i gonna make for dinner tonight yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, well i think to go full, go full circle here and connect this back to your book i think one of the core messages here is going back to kindness and one of the ways to be kind to ourselves is to feed ourselves with you know, easy animal free. Easy meals. animal free, baby. And if we can't be kind to ourselves through the meals that we feed ourselves, through the relationship we have with food, how are we going to be kind to to others? You know, like mm-hmm. if we're in, a, if if we're financially capable and we're in a situation where we can afford better than fast food, you know, having a happy meal every day isn't being kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. And if we can take a moment and have one of these meals that is you know beautifully put in your your cookbook you know you're being kind to yourself and hopefully that will reciprocate to being kind to others so yeah i think so i mean we got to take care of these beautiful miraculous bodies we have we got to take care of this miraculous planet we have the privilege to live on and you know eating plant-based is a really excellent way of doing that yes and i mean the core values of veganism is being kind to yourself Mm -hmm. being kind to the animals and Mm -hmm. being kind to the environment Mm -hmm. so it kind of emulates all of those spiritual truths that mm-hmm. we were just you know dancing around mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> which mm-hmm. might be your next book yeah no, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the quantum physics of oh man <laughs> you got it there's a book biocentrism did you guys know that book robert lanza it's yeah. all on you probably like it it's all on the sort of the physics of spirituality and he he really makes it when you read it he's so convincing he makes you feel makes made me feel like an absolute idiot forever thinking there could be any other way other than consciousness first i mean it was very persuasive yeah Yeah. i love that um one thing you said and then maybe we can land it and and go to some uh rapid fire questions Mm -hmm. but uh it's it's such a simple statement but i've never heard anyone say it for whatever reason vegan for the animals and plant-based for your health Mm -hmm. i just love the uh clarity and differentiating points of like why vegan and why Mm -hmm. Mm plant-based yeah that's um i mean that really sums it up i mean it's like vegan for me is an ethical is was ethical first and foremost that's how i arrived to it but one of the beautiful side effects of that is that when i started thinking more deeply about what i was putting into my body um, i found that eating these beautiful vibrant plant-based foods made me feel great there's different ways of being vegan right like you know no no shame no judgment if you want to be a junk food vegan as so-called junk food (laughs) vegan as they're called um and that's working for you at this point in your life you do you boo but like yeah yeah, but um you know for me it's like there is a real like harmony between like what what an incredible coincidence that the diet that matches my ethics is also the diet that makes my body feel fantastic I'm approaching 40 and I'm feeling fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> feeling good. Just getting started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no shortage of energy here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Same. You know, I feel um, I feel younger and healthier and like I'm not aging the same as some of my peers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And whether that's through the vegan diet or the lifestyle that it encourages, I think it is all connected. Mm-hmm, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Biological age versus chronological age. Yeah, right? Maybe yeah. it's a mindset. Yeah. Gotta eat those veggies, people. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Okay, so uh, if you've listened to this and you're ready to buy a book on the spirituality of veganism <laughs> <Yeah>. slash <laughs> making cooking easy. How to answer the what the heck is for dinner, oh my God. Yes. What's, what's for dinner, how to make it an easy, healthy, nutritious, fun manageable way with fun themes and 
empowering ideas uh where can we find your book mm-hmm. so everywhere books are sold basically so on my site which is easyanimalfree.com slash cookbook uh, you'll find all the info about pre-order i think maybe when this comes out the book will already be out yes. yeah. so yeah so you can go to um Penguin Random House, my publisher, or or me on my site has like a, a bookstore locator. If you okay. want to support the bookstore in your neighborhood, uh, you can also request that your local bookstore carry okay. it, or you can go to good old Amazon or um, Indigo, yeah. which both carry it online and in store. So it should be pretty easy to find. We'll have to get some copies at the Juice Truck. Yeah, and the yeah. Juice Truck. Yeah. Buy it at the Juice Truck. Yeah. yeah. I'll, to, I'll connect with you. Your people. Okay. Get an cool. order in. Sounds good. Um, and then they can find you, Easy Animal Free, mm-hmm. on Instagram as well. Yeah, Instagram. Um, I blog sometimes. I got a little newsletter. So, yeah, yeah all those good places. Very I'll good. definitely be active on Instagram um, as the book is out. I feel like it's been quiet for me on Instagram just because so much of what I'm making is from the book now. So yeah. I'm like, well, I'm just like following this recipe that is not available <laughs> to you. So I feel kind of bad about that. But once the book's out, I'll be able to actually share a little bit more and, you know, cook from the book. So what's now that the book's out there, what's mm. next? Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. I'm so glad you asked. I'm getting my master's. Hey, yeah. nice. <laughs> Plot twist. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually the first public sharing of this, but I'm doing my master's in counseling psychology. Wow. Which is a Yeah, which is a continuation of a career that I set out to do long ago when I first did my degree in psychology. Uh, and then pursued law as a way of being helpful. I mean, the theme for me is always just like, how can I help? How can I um, be be a good person in the world? How can I have an impact? And for me now, that looks like doing counseling psychology. So awesome. in a couple of years, I'll be a licensed clinical counselor, a therapist, and oh my God. people can come I'll to me be hitting you up with, with their problems. problems. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. That's so good, though, because it's like such a holistic approach, mm-hmm. like as I'm just assuming uh, that it will be. It absolutely <laughs> yeah, will be, like, mind, body, spirit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's so cool. great. Yeah, Sign me up, Anna. I'll yeah. be your, your first, uh, <laughs> first head case to come your way. First problem. Yeah. That's right. Um, I, think, I think at this point, though, like we, therapy is like, it used to be a stigma. Mm-hmm, Maybe it still is for some yeah. people, but like, I don't know. I just, I see it's like. Gives you tools. Yeah. I mean, like, what is the downside to getting some skills to living a better life and to having the setting aside the time to develop insight into ourselves, our interpersonal relationships, Mm -hmm. our our meaning in this life? I mean, you can bumble around and do it on your own, but it also really helps to have a trained professional helping you cut those corners, baby. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Plug for plug for looking after our mental health here. right? Let's do it. It's normal and it's helpful and we should all be doing it. We should all be doing it yeah definitely the world would be a a better place if we were all given our mental health the attention it deserves right yeah i'm excited for you that's amazing that's great news thanks yeah should we do a little rapid fire and then we'll let's do it i'm just like admittedly here i'm just scrolling your your instagram page because it's just so beautiful to look at so just another plug like make sure you follow follow anna easy animal free um like I'm inspired. I'm like, oh, I want to make that. Ooh, I want to make good. that. I'm getting hungry sitting yeah. here. So we didn't even talk about running that much. I know we didn't. <gasps> well, Anna, you even had a quote that I was going to pull out that yeah. maybe I'll pull out now about like how yeah, cooking ahead. for the family is kind of like a marathon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Marathon, to, not a sprint. You have to yeah. pace yourself. So maybe to kick off the rapid fire, mm-hmm. have you ever run a, run a marathon? Oh, or, no. or oh, like yeah, marathon right. distances? I haven't. I okay. haven't run a marathon. I ran t- a 
few 10k races yeah. when I was getting into running just to motivate myself. I ran the 10k in Victoria and came in under 50 minutes, which yeah, I was feeling good about. That's so great. I was postpartum. Um, and then I also ran the sun run and I forget my time, but it was a Fantastic. really fun race. My goodness, the energy of big races yeah. like that. It oh, was super cool. Someday soon. Yeah. So favorite distance to run 10k or shorter? Uh, so to, if I'm running on my own, I'm just like, I go, so I live in East Island, so I go loop around Trout Lake. So my yeah. distance is like five or six K. Um, but yeah, I mean, 10k is like a good I feel like if you can run 5k you can run 10k it's, 100% it's just, you just need the time yep. but yeah I mean I'm just for me like running is uh, is a form of fitness so I'm just like I just want to get my heart rate up for half an hour get some fresh yeah. air feel good, so good get in the sun so. awesome yeah. awesome okay I got some cookbook ones and then I got a few life ones cool okay in a few sentences maybe a paragraph <laughs> how do you make a good salad how do you make a what a good salad a good salad okay so you need to make sure you have enough calories yep. and you got to get some protein in there. So calories are going to come from adding a grain or a starch, adding some legumes and making sure you got enough fat. The fat is going to make you feel satiated. If you eat a bowl of lettuce, you're going to feel full, but like half an hour later, you're going to feel like hungry and unsatisfied. So you got to get some fat in there in the dressing. Don't be afraid of extra virgin olive oil. Some tahini is good. Avocado is your friend. Nuts and seeds. Put those hemp seeds in there. Yeah. I love seeds. some sweet potato and quinoa in salads uh, open a can of chickpeas if you're like really getting desperate there yeah <laughs> so, okay yeah. I love chickpeas on a salad though I feel like that's they're so good in salad yeah, yeah. Chechi, like crispy yeah. chickpeas yeah I shouldn't yeah. have said desperate I just mean because you can grab but it from the right cupboard there. dump yeah. it in a colander <laughs> rinse it out and it's but like, it's so easy it's yeah. like 10 seconds later yeah. your easy. protein is ready yeah easy animal free I want an easy animal free t-shirt I think that could be like a really cool swag it's very accurate yeah. It's so good. Is that easy? No I don't surprise, know you nailed it. No, you know what you're getting. Um, okay, how do you make a awesome bowl of oatmeal? Okay, so oatmeal, you got to. Um, okay, so if you're busy and yeah. you don't want to stand there stirring a pot of oatmeal, first yeah. of all, if you have the foresight, soak it. It'll cook faster, it'll be more nutritious. You turn on the heat of your oatmeal, yeah. you bring it to a boil, you put the lid on, and you walk away and you do something else. Okay. And then when you come back, you give it a stir, get the starches out, and it's done. I like to also add soy milk in there, especially when I'm cooking for kids, just to up that iron and protein yeah. and calcium and nutrition, calories. Um, and that's it. And I mean, don't lo don't don't forget to the opportunity to add in your omega rich seeds. Yes. Plug for chia, hemp, and flax. Yeah, the 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 trifecta. <laughs> the tri yeah, the that's, the my that's my holy trinity. The holy, the holy, holy trinity. trinity. Yes. Holy trinity. True, yeah. it's true. Yeah. Omega threes. Okay, yeah. I don't know if you can do this one in a short way, but you just mentioned soy milk, and that's mm. been one of the ones that like has like a false stigma to it. Like, it does. Can you yeah. debunk? the health myths against soy milk i can do it in one sentence amazing soy milk is made of beans beans are good for you any questions <laughs> mike, mike drop, drop. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. So yes good. yes yes that was the, that was always the thing i feel like uh i don't know 10 years ago or whatever that's like don't don't have soy like yeah. it'll give you estrogen or yeah, like yeah. and it was somehow that still like prevails a little bit that it myth, does but yeah like, like the phytoestrogens in soy but the thing is 
we, there's phytoestrogens in beer. So unless yeah. you're going to give up beer. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with phytoestrogen. There's yeah. nothing, no, and there, ultimately there's nothing wrong with phytoestrogen. In, in fact, phytoestrogen is an antioxidant. Yes. It's incredibly good yeah, for yeah. you. It's the kind of thing you want to be consuming. Go, go get it. Go yeah. get those phytoestrogens. Yeah, get in there. Okay, so the bowls, you set it up in such an amazing way to choose your own adventure. Mm. What is your adventure with a bowl? What's your go-to bowl? Mm. Oh, I love, um, I have a couple and they're both inspired sort of regionally. So one is inspired by my beloved, not my beloved, but I love Mexico. I love Mexican cooking, cuisine, flavors. I mean, it's a, a vast country with a lot of different cuisines, but just in general, I love a good rice and potatoes or blackened pinto beans cooked from dry. So you've got all that sauciness in there and the starchy cooking water and then some avocado, salad, lime, pumpkin seeds, that kind of thing. And then I also love my Mediterranean flavors. So lime. Uh, think like lemons and garlic and for that I'm usually going to potatoes or quinoa cauliflower some chickpeas you can roast them you can pan fry them it's easy to put in some greens like cauliflower um, kale or chard or even lettuce you can saute it or not um, and maybe some capers or olives in there something briny so that is a good meal you could put some tahini sauce if you want to take an extra two seconds yes Ooh, that yeah. he's we're, we're holding up a picture of black beans and potatoes and, mm, oh, I'm hungry I, know, black right? beans. So I love beans so you, you cook them from dry you I, said. You, cooking them from dry is the only way to go and okay. because i eat so many beans uh it makes sense for me it's but cheaper. it's cheaper they're more delicious because canned beans you kind of have to rinse off that that packing water but when you cook them yourself you can flavor that water it's very starchy and very creamy and that's really the secret of good like good sort of like um, refried or saucy beans okay. unless you're rinsing it off but if you're using them for soup or using them for tacos or bowls you want that starchy water it's where the gold is so walk me through because I'm a canned bean you're user canned like bean crazy kind of okay. but only because that's how I've just always done it so yeah. I want I'm always open to change yeah oh, learning the methods what I like to so, hear. so can you in a what's, what's the quick method yeah. for I go get some dried black beans because yeah, so this looks delicious I want to make so this good. Yeah. so you get yourself a couple pounds of black beans and we're going to do this in we're going to do a batch cooking sort of way so you get your two pounds of beans soak them overnight which basically means five to 24 hours anywhere in that range is fine okay. put a cloth over it if you want to keep out the fruit flies and the dust you can just um, sit, soak on the counter soak on the counter yeah just sit there soaking in cold water the beans will expand so cover them by water that is step one so easy you literally pour water on them <laughs> Check. Done. Done. Step one is done. Step two is drain that water, replace that water, and boil the beans until they're cooked. Yes. And that's it. You that's can add it. some salt. There's yeah. a myth that you can't salt beans. Nonsense. Add the salt because it'll get right into the beans. Iodized salt. Iodized salt. Got to get that iodine. Uh, you can add in some oregano, some bay leaves, some onion and garlic if you like, or nothing at all. Plain beans are so good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you just boil it until they're tender. It's going to be different for different beans, but you know, more or less something like black beans is going to take about an hour and then that's it. They're done. And they're, the, the cooking liquid when you're first done and it's really hot is going to be like a bit thinner, but as they cool and go into the fridge, the starch will really start to come out and thicken up. And then what you're looking at is something like that that picture which is like a really thick creamy starchy bean that looks amazing and then yeah and then you can just cook it down again so now you're reheating it and cook it down you can mash it up a little and this is how this is refried beans right? okay this is how they're made yeah and then what you do because we're doing two pounds of beans is now you take your beans and you don't want to be even though it's really easy it does take some time so you don't want to be doing it every day so now you take your beans you portion them up with the beans and the cooking liquid into portions and you put them in the freezer 
Then when you need beans, you dig them out of the freezer. And they're done. And they're so done. you do the whole two pounds in one shot? I do them all. I do as many as I can fit. I yeah. actually use an Instant Pot for it now. If you have oh, one of those, it's yeah, even yeah, easier. Yeah. Um, but I did them on the stovetop for years and that works too. Instant Pot just makes it easier because you don't need to like monitor it. You just put it in, press a button and go. Set it and forget it. Set it and forget <laughs> it. It's so good. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to try it. I'm going to yeah. try it. Oh, it's life changing. It's so good. And that, um, I also have like a guide on like how to cook beans from dry in the book. Cause the book is full of those how to things. So yeah. I love it's got it. it all. It's got it, it's all. got it all. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. A couple last ones and then, uh, we'll let you get home to, to your fam. Uh, to your I'm fam having job. so much fun with you guys though. <laughs> I know. I know. We can talk forever. Yeah, we can. Uh, okay. Another part that, um, another thing that I always associate with you is being an avid reader. Mm, always, cha- always chatting books. I love books. I <laughs> love reading. Yes. Always. Yes. I always, you know, when I think of you, I think of you book recommendations and sources and resources um what is a book that you've gifted most in your life oh so okay I'm gonna like cheat a little here and say that I don't typically um gift books okay because I find that books just you need the right book at the right time yes. and when people ask for a recommendation I'm like okay hey, what kind of book are you into right now do you right. want a novel are you into memoirs do you want a spiritual read those, those are you into those, right? are, those are questions that someone that reads a lot of books would ask yeah yes. yeah yeah. I'm like I don't know I mean I ha- I literally have hundreds of favorite books yeah. so so that's a really hard one and I just I find that like you know in my life for and I and I think for everyone this is true like the right book at the right time is going to be transformative whereas if it's the mm. the right book but at the wrong time it's like in one ear and out the other right. Right. So I think it's really important to, um, yeah. Okay. Let me shift that then. What yeah. are, what are a couple of books that have had, um, a transformative or inspirational impact on yourself? Okay. So I mentioned earlier that I love Eckhart Tolle, yes. um, for literature, for like novels. I love Pearl S. Buck. She writes about life in China, uh, like a hundred years ago. And it's just such timeless work. And she's just such a profound observer of the human condition, her characters and her relationships and her, her context are just uh, so rich. So good. I think it's really must read reading. Um, Lately, I mean, yesterday we're recording this the day after Truth and Reconciliation Day. So I've loved um, a book by Jesse Thistle. And the book is called, oh, shoot. Anybody know Jesse Thistle? What well, is that book called? Right yeah. Um, he, so he writes a really powerful, I love memoirs. Memoirs okay. is, a, is a genre that I just never get tired of. Any favorite memoirs? So, he, so I oh, love this, his memoir. Okay. His is one. From the Ashes. Yeah, from the Ashes. It's called From the Ashes. Okay. He's, a, he's this beautiful Métis man who had a horrifically traumatizing childhood uh, through from family and from school and he slipped into homelessness and addiction and then redeemed you know crawled his way out to become now a very gifted writer and professor and teacher and he's he's it's it's a gripping heartbreaking but ultimately very inspiring story Um, another memoir that I've read in, in recent like the recent times, like in the last year that I've loved, that I've recommended to people is called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. And not just because I'm interested in psychology and counseling and therapy, but just because it's it's a book for everyone. Okay. So she's a therapist and she writes about her own time in therapy as well as some stories from her clients. And it's funny and it's wise and it's it's for everyone. I've recommended it to people and they've like in turn recommended it to mm. people. And it's it's great. It's a best-selling book. I mean, I'm not the only one who's like, holy smokes, it's a good book. <laughs> That's awesome. Every book that you've recommended through text or conversation to me has been like a 10. So oh, awesome. That, cool. Good. Your, I'm glad your to hear it. recommendations are like... 
And verified. Verified. Verified, yeah. yeah. <laughs> blue, blue check mark. The, the blue, blue check, check for your book <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I love to read. So good. All right. So we're recording this on a Thursday or so on today's a Friday. Friday. Hello. <laughs> I love Where it. are we? Welcome. I welcome to like recording this on a Friday. So <laughs> yesterday was Thursday, so Pan Asian mm-hmm, meal. Mm-hmm. So what's for dinner tonight? Ooh, can I tell you it was for dinner last sure. night? Because it was so good. Yes. Fridays, Fridays are friend Fridays. I never really talked about that. So tonight is, it's usually, it's burgers or pizza. Tonight is burgers. But last night I made these um, rice bowls with uh, like a sauce of sort of like a poke bowl inspired sauce. So it's like tamari or soy sauce and sesame oil, a little olive oil, some grated ginger and green onions. And those are crucial, key. Did I say sesame oil? That's also key. So those ingredients, a little maple syrup, and then marinated the tofu just for five minutes in that. Toss in the air fryer, although pan fryer onion also works. And then we had that with a um, with brown rice, and then more of that sauce drizzled mm. on. And then the and then I made cabbage, finely grated on a mandolin. And the cabbage is sort of like a sort of Asian pan Asian inspired slaw. So it's a little mayo, a little sesame oil, and um, some vinegars. I used a combination of umi plum vinegar and rice vinegar. Ooh. And then I threw in some green onions into that slaw. And then on top of the whole situation is a whole lot of sesame seeds, toasted sesame seeds. And my goodness, it was so good. I had it for lunch again today. And oh, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it was very good. Okay. Very good. Okay, I got one more serious one. And then maybe we can, unless you have more, we got our our closer. (laughs) I can go back. (laughs) I I can talk forever. I love talking to you guys. (laughs) We'll we'll have you back for sure. First of many podcast conversations. Nice. What does animal rights mean to you? Mm, ooh, this is a this is hard. Um, hmm, animal rights. Let's see if there's any any profound truth that are going to come my way. Animal rights. I mean, animal rights are just the lie the the rights of animals to to live their lives as the autonomous, independent beings that they are. To live lives of liberty, of freedom, of of the pursuit of of family and of comfort. Um, to you know, really, this is these are the rights that we all basically want. We want to be free. We want to pursue meaning. We want to ha- uh, have. We want to have family. We want to be safe and comfortable in our homes. Homes that are comfortable and suitable for us and of our choosing. Meal that are comfortable and appropriate for us uh, so really I think that you know the, this is this is what it comes down to and of course um, these rights can't be fully realized in a farming situation I love that so like the same core needs that we have as humans ultimately right because we're not so different like yes we humans have um, you know maybe a more complex or sophisticated pursuit of, of certain aspects of lives of, of life but um, but at the same time, animals, they're living in the egoless meditative state permanently. So in some ways, they actually are the wise ones, the ones that we can learn from. Um, but when it comes to our physical and fundamental psychological and emotional needs, we're not so different. I love that. Thanks, Anna. As you, as you were saying that, it reminded me of the name of the study. Mm-hmm. The Cambridge uh, study of animal awareness okay. Cambridge Declaration of Animal Awareness okay. yeah and it's exactly that that there's this longing for connection and yes. there we now know that animals experience consciousness yeah. and so why wouldn't they want all those things and yeah. it changes the tenor of animal rights of like just like don't let's not eat them but 
there's mm-hmm. actual things and meaning and purpose that they're pursuing. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's I mean, this that. is one of those things that most of us know to be true without mm. science mm-hmm. to confirm it. I mean, anyone who's ever spent any time with a cat or a dog or a horse yeah. or a hamster or a budgie, I mean, any, any kind of pet, right, is going to be like, yeah, of course. Like they have personalities, they have preferences, they have relationships, they have moods. Yes. So it's crazy. Yeah. 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 Uh, so good. I think I've, oh. I've got one more. I've got one more. Do you got one more before the closer? Nope. <laughs> I'm just looking at my notes and I was like, oh, okay, oh, this, one's, this one's here. Uh, veganism as an expression of feminism. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, um, you know, some people talk about how we exploit female animals and I think there's some merit to that. Although to that, I would also say, well, we exploit male animals too. I think our exploitation of animals is fairly genderless. Uh, but I will say that for those of us who value feminism and equality, um, if we, if we, you don't need me to tell you, just look at your own values. Why do you value feminism and equality? If it's because um, oppression based on grounds that are not true or not fair is objectionable, then, you know, it only makes sense to apply that same value to extend it to animals, right? <laughs> 100%. I'm with you. Yeah. So good. Dina, you got any more before? Uh, let's land it. Let's, let's land, land it. it. Okay. It's almost, <laughs> it's almost dinner time. It's time for beans and lentils. <laughs> That's and right. Yeah, speaking of food, or all like, oh, my mouth is watering. Yeah. All this food talk. So we've touched on this like on and off throughout, the, throughout our whole conversation. And I think it just, uh, in many ways, it just comes out of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always like to end with this question. Obviously, we've called our podcast A Little More Good with mm-hmm. the intention that we would create it and do it and live, live it out in the world. But uh, we always like to know, put the guests in the hot seat, what does A Little More Good mean to you? Oh, I love that question. And I think it's a really beautiful, perfect name because that is what veganism really is all about. It's, um, it, speaking of veganism, right? It's, a, it's not about being perfect and it's not about being superior. It's about trying to do a little more good in the world. And I think for my whole my whole, my whole like mode of being is like, I am so far from perfect and that's, that's, part of my journey that's part of my I'm, I'm working on being better every day and, and I'm not I I have no um, false ideas about ever being perfect but if every day I can just work at being a little more good a little more kind a little more considerate a little more thoughtful a little more grateful a little more forgiving a little more patient a little more vegan no just kidding <laughs> um, then yeah then I mean then I know that I'm on the right path yes so good so good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That was fun. Thanks, Good Anna. questions, we're, guys. We're, we're grateful for you. We're excited for your book. Nice. Uh, you're, you're a light in the world. And um, I know with your book being available to the masses that, uh, you know, seeds of kindness are going to be planted. And I'm excited to see the goodness that this fosters. I hope so. I hope so. Yes. That was the, that was the goal. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So good. Went down some tangents that, yes. uh, you know, I didn't know we were going to go that way. But, uh, man, I think Anna can go deep in any direction. Yeah, well, clearly. Point her and she will explore it to its deepest depths. Yeah, uh, just a, a well, a well-read, well-rounded, well-spoken human being. And what a fun conversation, right, to touch on family recipes and spirituality of veganism and all of the things in between. Absolutely. I was just reading this quote and it mm. kind of made me think of Anna and kind of I thought it captured a lot of who she is. It says, 
veganism is not a limitation in any way. Because some people think, oh, I can't go vegan. It's, it's limiting, right? You know, it's hard. Um, but okay, back to the quote. Veganism is not a, lim a limitation in any way. It's an expansion of your love, your commitment to nonviolence, and your belief in justice for all. And that quote's by Gary Francione. Uh, hopefully I pronounced that right. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought Anna really captured that, you know, veganism's not limiting, it's expanding. You know, it's, uh, it's living with a full heart, with full compassion. Um, and that's to our planet, to our animals, to ourselves. So choosing the compassionate path. Yeah. And I mean, c coming back to it, like she makes it accessible mm -hmm. and easy, right? It's a, it's a simple way to do it. And I don't know, I just like when faced with the choice of something that's relatively easy to accomplish and is a win for our health, for our planet, for animals, like that just seems like it checks all the boxes. Well, why, why wouldn't we? Right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, even if you take the food out of the combo and I was like, hey, I've got this thing. It's going to be, it's going to make you healthy. It's going to make the planet healthy. And like animals are going to be happy because of it. And it like doesn't cost really any more than your your current lifestyle. You want this thing? Yeah. You'd probably be like, oh yeah. Yeah, right? I know. So so give it a hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. So remember that uh, if you haven't already, like midway through this episode, paused it or just while while you're streaming it, uh, ordered her book, check it out. It is the Vegan Family Cookbook by Anna Pippis, available everywhere. You can get some books. So be sure to get it, add it to your shelf or don't just add it to your shelf, add it to your like regular rotation in the kitchen. I feel like this is a book that's going to have, you know, zucchini stains on it and yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know, the, the, the wet marked fingers as you're flipping through and stuff with, uh, with the recipe on the go, but uh, easy animal free recipes for you and the whole family. There we go. Tried, tested and true. Tried, tested. Tried, tested, true. There we go. And if you enjoyed uh, this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcast. It makes a big difference for us so that we can get our, our message out to, uh, to more people. Um, so, yeah, grateful for all of your listens, uh, all of your shares. And uh, we got some, some juicy pods coming up. So uh, be sure to tune in. Peace.